Get fired up for another episode of Real Deal No Sex Appeal. A constant barrage of eye-opening conspiracies and ad-libbed innuendo. With filthy mouths and bad attitudes. Featuring Chris. On the streets, he's known as a jackass. Also featuring Parker. Yes, there's no two ways about it. He's super white. And our special guest, Alex. No one knows what it means, but it's provocative. Entire production supervised by Bigfoot. Now, let's join the boys for their latest episode. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Real Deal No Sex Spiel. My name is Chris, with me as always is Parker and Alex, and we watched Pumpkinhead and slash or Dune. We'll figure out which one we want to talk about. It's kind of one of those things that we'll fix in camera, as they say. Uh, one of these movies uh, fits our oeuvre more than the other, but uh, we'll get to them in a bit. Parker, uh, before we go any further, um, I, I think... The news in the film world is something that we're all aware of. Uh, I, I just want to make it clear that like everyone's been making jokes about the Alec Baldwin shooting, and uh, I, I get it. Like, th- there's an opportunity for jokes here. And one of the things that I really like about this podcast is that we can find the humor in anything. And I, I mean, that's I, I'm, I'm completely serious about this. Especially you guys can find the humor in just about anything. And I'm sure there are good jokes to tell here, but I gotta tell you, I feel really bad for Alec Baldwin. I, I mean, he's gonna have to live with this for the rest of his life. It's something that's probably going to haunt him. You just can't help yourself, can you? Your face is purple. Jesus Christ! <laughs> just, just, just to get this out there, because somehow I have not seen this joke at all and have held it inside me all week. Let's hear it. Parker, what's the worst part about being a Baldwin? <laughs> well, I have no more news. That was it. <laughs> that was the only bit I had. Dude, I, I made that fucking joke in Discord, but it's okay, because that was the I, I was read. thinking about this entire time I was driving this week. It's the amount of time I've spent this Nothing. week thinking about thinking about him just shooting somebody in the middle of the dick's fuck asshole speech, dude. Like I <laughs> It's oppressive. All the Baldwins are dead? <laughs> I'm happy we all thought it, so I didn't have to feel bad. No, I thought you were gonna be earnest. So I was gonna have to like just fucking car crash into that joke. Oh Why no, I going to I, I I was ready to throw myself on that grenade. Don't you worry. Like, yeah, it was right there. You know, I was, I was actually what I was gonna lead into before I before I broke and I just decided I'd kill it with the Lion King music is that uh, if you're gonna make a joke about this, make sure it's a really good joke, such as the one that I read that was just <laughs> Alex Baldwin. <laughs> 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 yeah, it would be straight up cowardly to not make the South Park movie reference at this point. Right? Yeah, it, it, it'd just be weird. I, I almost wanted to lead it into so Parker in the news. We found a new worst thing about being a Baldwin. <laughs> <laughs> yum yum. <laughs> uh, so I guess that's the news. Uh, I guess we can get into our jerks of the week. Oh fuck. I can't believe you've done this. My jerk of the week is kind of a twofer here. It's Idris Elba and the Sega Corporation. God damn he, it! Yeah, <laughs> I got him. That's what happens when you edit. So, uh, yeah, he uh, he said that Knuckles in Sonic the Hedgehog 2 will not be sexy. So, hope you like losing money. God damn it. Give me a second. <laughs> Look, the, the, 
I mean, I was already out. Like the the fact that uh, they refused to release the cut with what Sonic originally looked like means that I'm never gonna watch these movies. Like that is a line in the sand that I will not cross. But, uh, Dude, if they were fucking release that on, on Blu-ray as like the special features of the director's cut, the animator's cut, then like I would definitely pay like five bucks for that. Dude, not only would I buy that Blu-ray, but I would absolutely pretend the other version doesn't exist. Just any time Sonic comes, I just be like, yeah, I don't know why he looked so weird though. Like, why did they do that? Oh uh, no, they changed it. No, I just watched it. He looked pretty weird. <laughs> anyway, uh, Parker, if you need more time, I will go next with my jerk of the week. Please do absolutely go ahead. Common thread for me in this segment, but uh, my jerk of the week is myself. Now, uh, I'm going to phrase this in the douchiest way possible for the sake of content, but uh, I was today years old when I learned that the 21 foot rule is a real thing. Oh, buddy. (laughs) Wait, what? All of these years, I thought it was just a meme from one of those fucking sword YouTubers. Remember when Lulinx got really into fucking sword YouTube? Like, for like a month? Yeah, I thought that's what it was from. I thought it was just some dumb thing that a guy said. Had no idea. All of these over a decade of jokes that that was like actually a thing that people thought. I was tickled. I was very happy. That that actually, yeah, apparently that is a real thing. If you can close that distance wearing jorts... And I can. I I can't think of jorts without thinking of that fucking image of the guy on 4chan that was insisting that the Nintendo Switch was pocket-sized. He just... (laughs) (laughs) Yes, chicken. If you know, you know. I think my favorite my favorite part of that lore is you can see Parker's roof in the background. Like that is my old neighborhood. <laughs> Hand to God. I hope he's doing well. Yeah, so that guy goes to that same restaurant where the woman wanted shredded cheese. <laughs> my fucking hometown is the Ready Player One of dipshits from Texas. <laughs> Uh, my jerk of the week is, of course, Pete Carroll and John Schneider for ruining this once <laughs> proud franchise. This team is garbage. Just throw it all away. Cut everyone. Trade everyone. We have lost upwards of five games. It's a fucking disaster. Just move the fucking team. Move it to Oklahoma City. I don't care anymore. Cowards. <laughs> Seahawks fans are my favorite. They could win the Super Bowl fucking tomorrow, and by Thursday they'd be like, I don't know, man, this team's just not built a repeat, you know? We went all in, it's just gonna be a fucking shit show from now on. Just just trade them, they're dead weight. Trade Russell Wilson, trade DK Metcalf, trade... Uh... Uh... So let's get into what uh, we watched last night. I didn't learn a lesson. <laughs> uh, I was gonna do that. Okay, so, uh... Starting off with uh, an assignment here, but it didn't come from either one of you. I have uh, an associate at work who I've discussed on the show named Jeff. Uh, Is this the guy that hates Neo Yokio? Uh, No, 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 different guy. Different guy. All right, okay. Um, Then not fuck Uh, you, Jeff. Got it. You'll say that later. Uh, Jeff is a Cowboys fan, and he's like, hey, do you want to do a movie bet on the Cowboys versus Patriots game? I said, they're going to kill us. Yes, of course I want to do a movie bet. There's an outside Did you at least get the points? Uh, no, I, we're just... Uh, that's just, that's just bad wagering. Sorry, continue. Which, I, I, you know, I like doing movie bets, and I was just like, let's... The more people I can get to do this, the more likely I can get them to do it with each other. If we could just spread this sort of nonsense, then I think it'd be good. 
and they lost. And he said that he was going to make me watch a movie that I had said I never wanted to watch. I was like, what, what is this going to be? So I watched 2006's Cars, uh, <laughs> which I had never seen before. Got him. Uh, <laughs> uh, I I had mentioned this once in passing, uh, and it really must have stuck with Jeff because he thinks this is a very good movie. Have Have you guys seen Cars, the first one, not the one with the beans? I don't have to answer that. I was gonna bring up the beans. No, I'm sorry. Well, anyway, God, this I one... forgot that he made you watch Planes, but you'd never seen Cars. <laughs> never seen Cars, right? Dusty well, crop up. <laughs> this will This will not shock you when I say that Cars One is better than Planes. Uh, <laughs> Uh, it's also not very good though uh, Cars tells the story of Lightning McQueen an asshole uh, and he's also a race car and he's very very fast but he doesn't quite win a race and so he has to go to a new race they're like okay tiebreaker go to this other place but he gets stuck in some redneck town uh, that has more stoplights than Poolsville and uh, he has to repair their road and be nice to everybody or else he can't race in the big race it's got a whole bunch of other people in it. Uh, Owen Wilson plays the lead role. Wow. <sighs> Larry the Cable Guy is in it as a yeah, tow he truck. Is. Yeah, he <laughs> is. He's in a lot of it. <laughs> I'll tell you that much. Um, tell you what, I, I'll be a little bit nice to this one. Uh, it, it definitely looks very good, especially for a movie that came out in 2006. Pixar had and still has a pretty high standard for visuals. And for a movie that's, that it just looks like really stupid-looking cars, it looks very, very good. There's a lot of detail that went into this. A lot of people must have worked really hard on this. Unfortunately, it was the animators who were working hard, because the people who wrote this, not so much. It's just kind of stupid and dumb and annoying. Hey, uh, uh, hey Chris. In this as an old car. What? Isn't it jarring to watch a Pixar movie for babies again? How long has it been? Oh, that's actually a good point. Uh, the number one thing I don't like about this movie is this is explicitly for infants. Uh, borderline newborns. This is not a movie that you can watch. Like, there are a lot of those, like, animated movies. And I, I defend it with the same line of uh, speaking as well, that a lot of these children's movies are really made for the whole family. Like, everyone can watch it. Cars is not that kind of movie. Cars is for, like, your babysitting. And the kid's, like, three, you know. The kid can barely even talk. Put on Cars, distract them with that, and that's that's all they like just be on twitter the entire time there's nothing for an adult to gain from this so it's kind of like the the mirror image of that's the dark mirror version of uh inside out um i i cannot recommend cars to anyone but an interesting thing here uh jeff said i i made a joke it was like why didn't you just assign me cars three because then like i'd have to watch all of them because you know how i am and he said no because then you'd have to watch cars too i'm like What's, what's, <laughs> I, I, I don't get it. He's like, Cars 2's a piece of shit. <laughs> I was like... I feel like Jeff doesn't understand one? how movie bets work. <laughs> I was like, were you the one? Were you the one who was eating beans? Damn. <laughs> cars 3 makes Cars 1 look like Cars 2. <laughs> Sick. He says he likes Cars 3. It was a return to form. Uh, <laughs> is, this the yeah. only, is this the only trilogy where the second movie is the worst? I guess. I don't know. He really hates Cars 2. Cars 2 hey, is a also, piece of... Hey, uh, also, does Jeff have a microphone? <laughs> uh, yeah, he... Uh, hey. I don't know. Chris, Cars you want to hear, you, you hear my car story? Yeah, let's hear your car story. So this one night a couple years ago, my friends dragged me to uh, Disney night at the karaoke bar. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
of course, you know, you go in there and it's just a bunch of people that are that have queued up all of the good Disney songs and you're just left with, you know, whatever's left because nobody wants to repeat songs. Right. And somebody looks at me and goes, dude, you know, life is a highways and cars, right? And uh, <laughs> it's not something I ever anticipated doing at karaoke, but there we were. That sounds magical. Yeah, it could have been wor- it could have been a lot worse given the, you know, the options out there. I, Look, I, I suppose I try so. and roll with the punches, but I feel like if I walked in somewhere it was Disney karaoke, it's 50-50 on whether or not I just Abe Simpson out of there. Dude, the <laughs> best part was uh, <laughs> some dude at the fucking table behind us got thrown out for fighting. <laughs> 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 he left his sunglasses, so I stole them. Hell yeah, dude. <sighs> anyway, continue. Well, yeah, sure. Well... Uh, I did not like that movie, Sam I Am. I did not like that movie in a box with a fox or with Courtney Cox. Uh, but I had to wash the taste out of my mouth somehow, so I turned on the HBO original documentary, Four Hours at the Capitol. Uh, Four Hours at the Capitol is about the January 6th Capitol riots. Um, I, everyone has seen right this Right after movie. Cars, huh? Right after Cars. I had to do something, man. <laughs> I thought I was going crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I, dude, I really didn't like cars. I'll tell you that much. So uh, it was like, yeah, finally, some good news. Four hours at the Capitol. <laughs> Imagine if the Larry the Cable Guy truck was at the rally. <laughs> <laughs> Probably was, dude. Think of all those people there. I, I don't want to. Okay, I don't want people like misinterpret what I say. Like, obviously, January sixth was a terrible day in history. Because they certify the election. But the other thing about it is <laughs> Chris, you don't live with him anymore. <laughs> Lightning McQueen no. under his scrutiny for his comments on the January 6th riots. Uh, Forest of the Capitol is, uh, it's luckily not a four hour documentary. It's, it's uh, barely 90 minutes, which is good. Um, which makes it so much shorter than Cars, because Cars is like two hours long. <laughs> fucking interminable. It's like Dune. Yeah, which we'll get to. But uh, Four Eyes of the Capitol is a lot better. Um, everyone's seen all the footage before, so a lot of people are just like, why would I watch a documentary on this? Sometimes you really just got to face it head on. This does a pretty good job of stitching all that footage together in the order that it happened, talking to people who were there. Interviewed a lot more Proud Boys than I think I was comfortable with. I was like, shouldn't they be behind bars? What's going on here? Then I remember that bail's a thing. And I interviewed a couple of the Capitol Police officers, uh, some journalists and stuff. They did not get the Q Shaman, so we didn't get the definitive take on these things. Thank you for saving me 90 minutes. Right, exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, One of the problems with documentaries like this is... You can't tell the story of the Capitol riot in 92 minutes, and I don't think you could do it in four hours. It would take, like, a long book of everything that goes into this. Like, we just heard this week that some of the protesters were planning this with Paul Gosar and Marjorie Taylor Greene and a whole bunch of other uh, congressmen and congresswomen. Dude, were they just going to carry Madison Cawthorn up there? Like, Like, what was the plan? I've... Actually, they believe it or not, there was a guy in a wheelchair that they did carry up there, but it, it wasn't Madison Cawthorn. I guess he was already in there at that point. Um, Rough there is a shot of uh, Marjorie Taylor Greed uh, <laughs> smiling throughout the whole thing, which I was just like, huh, that's interesting. Dude, uh, like the the weird thing about her is like she has like a mouth that looks like a butthole, but she hates masks. 
Like, that's exactly the kind of person that should be leaning into masks, right? Right, Like, yeah. you can, if you have a weird mouth, this should be, like, the best time of your life. Mm-hmm. Her and Sydney Powell. Um, anyway, Mark, sorry. Green Beckham, continue. Sorry. Okay, thank you. <laughs> I had to get it out. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you, you're gonna you're gonna awaken at like four in the morning, just scream it, and then fall back asleep. I was rocking back and forth, like yeah. rubbing my hands. You think she uh, pushed a, a man of... down the stairs in college? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, a lot of people sucks. Uh, yeah, a lot of people do not like this documentary because they say they're a little too kind to the Capitol Police. And I say I understand that because you can actually see once the people breach the uh, the uh, the barricades and they once they're actually inside the Capitol, some of the police are actually shown there, like showing them go that way, go that way. There's nothing behind this door. There's like huddled aides behind them, and uh, everyone's once they get into the Capitol, no one really knows where to go. They're just like, wow, this is actually kind of nice in here. Uh, Again, what I mentioned before is that what I like about you guys is that we can find the humor in a lot of things. And while I think January 6th was a very dark day in uh, American history, there was one thing that, well, I guess two things that really stood out to me that were very, very funny. Uh, The first one is uh, once they breach the Capitol, once they're inside this building, you see this whole line of rednecks going in there. It's called them for what they are. They're rednecks. And they're... They're, they're marching down the hall, they're chanting, they're screaming, they want to kill Mike Pence and Nancy Pelosi, and 99% of them go this way. And one guy goes that way, makes a beeline for the men's room. And I'm pretty sure that he was not part of their right. He was just looking for a place to take a leak. And uh, the other one is uh, one of the more graphic scenes in this. It's actually kind of hard to watch. It's when they're they're pushing up against the uh, the Capitol Police, and you can tell there's a, a whole lot of pain and torment right at that uh, moment. And there's one person in the back wearing, like, remember the dog mask from uh, the Eagles? Where it's an eagle mask instead. <laughs> <laughs> no Chris, where, where can so. we buy the eagle masks? <laughs> I don't know. I'm trying to dude, find out. <laughs> dude, can we do a live recording in Minnesota and then go run into their stadium with the fucking masks on? <laughs> They just fall over and demand to be carried away by animal control. <laughs> anyway, I adult. Um, anyway, I, I think I've said in the past that I have very, very low standards for documentaries, and this is no exception. I liked it. I thought it was a pretty good documentary. Uh, most people do not, so I guess uh, if you just want to go with the majority, then that's fine. And this doesn't go any into anywhere near enough detail, but uh, for what it is, it's uh, it's pretty well done. Um, and then, uh, pretty obvious one here, guys. I had to go to the movie theaters. Had to get a baked pretzel, and I had to watch *The French Dispatch* by Wes Anderson. Which, uh, boy, I guess my two favorite movies of the year were released on the same day. *The French Dispatch* is actually really good. I, I was surprised to walk out of it saying, "Wow, I think I might have liked that better than *Dune*." Uh, I, I love Wes Anderson. I, I did like that the release of this movie turned out all the anti-Wes Anderson beards on Twitter, and everyone's just saying like, "Oh, I don't." get it why does he shoot all his movies to look like that i'm like at least they look like something you know (laughs) at least they look different from something else at least they add a little bit of color to the world it's Uh, yeah it's it's so weird that the same people that were soy facing about the other movie that came out that day from a director who has a bunch of movies that look identical were like oh i don't know why wes anderson does this were they the same people i think they were just mad that other people were seeing uh the french dispatch instead of seeing dune like three times in theaters in two days Anyway, uh, the French Dispatch is about uh, the the office of a uh, news magazine that's stationed in France, which is where Wes Anderson lives. I think that's why he uh, said it there. 
And uh, they it tells three stories, so it's it's one of those kinds of movies. The editor is played by Bill Murray. He does a great job. Uh, a guy who leads everyone around town on a bicycle tour of what it looks like in Ennui sur Blase in France is Owen Wilson. So two movies with him this week. Two for two. Yeah. Okay, and, what does uh, Jason Schwartzman play? Uh, he plays... I forget what he plays, but he's in there. Um, everyone is in here. From every Wes Anderson movie ever, as far as I can tell. I think Angelica Houston's the narrator. Um, who else I got in there? Uh, Saoirse Ronan is in here as a prostitute with a heart of gold. Uh, every If you like name a Wes Anderson movie and not George Clooney, they're in here. Did so, he get Gene Hackman back? Uh, no, Gene Hackman. I was going to say, that would have been Unavailable impressive. for <laughs> reasons. <laughs> uh, it's, it is very, very well done. I liked it a lot. Uh, I did see one imbecile on Twitter say that this is a tribute to the French New Wave. Just because the movie takes place in France doesn't mean it's a tribute to the French New Wave. And that is the nerdiest thing I've ever said on this podcast. He was referring Not to the long. newer wave that's about to start. Maybe, I guess. Uh, Slightly what, different timescale, Chris. What this is, is it's a tribute to The New Yorker, a magazine I don't really like very much and do not subscribe to. But this is like a satire of it, but also like a loving send-up, you know? Because Wes Anderson actually liked reading The New Yorker. He would actually read it when he was in high school. He'd go to the library and look up back issues of it. You could, like, you could find the short stories that J.D. Salinger wrote that were never published anywhere but The New Yorker. And that's the only way that you can read them. So he decided that he would do this movie that's a collection of short stories. A lot of people have called these romantic short stories... I disagree. Uh, there is romance in each story, but it's that's not like the thrust of each story. What it is is a tribute to good writing. What it is, what it does, and uh, what it is used for. And I really like it. And obviously the writing in this movie is uh, as good as ever, as good as you can expect from Wes Anderson. But in particular, it's like a throwback to the way that you know really great magazine writing used to be. Uh, I highly recommend it. There was actually one of my favorite things that happened. I, I didn't actually get to see this at the Elmo. I had to go to the Angelica Mosaic in uh, Fairfax, which is good theater, but um, it's it's not quite as good as the Alamo, in my opinion. As I walked out of there, they gave everyone not like a, a little prop from the movie, you know, the ones that they get at the uh, movie parties at the Alamo. Instead, they gave it a, a French Dispatch magazine, and it, it looks like just like one of the ones that's in the movie, and it's great. And it goes into detail about how they made it and why they made it and everything. It was great. I really like the French Dispatch. Uh, Alex, have you seen it yet? Not yet. No. I mean, I literally just saw Dune like this afternoon, oh, so oh, like I, I'll, I'll get there. <laughs> yeah. but, uh, uh, like I wasn't gonna yeah. not watch Dune in the Dolby Theater, and I don't know how right, long I've got. So yeah, uh, uh, but yeah, we'll, we'll talk about it when I get there. Yeah. I, uh, anyway, I like the French Dispatch. I know you like Wes Anderson uh, about as much as I do, if not more, so I think you'll enjoy it quite a bit. Um, I don't think it's in my top three Wes Andersons, but my top three Wes Anderson movies is really weird. Like, I still have Isle of Dogs up there, so I'm different. Uh, anyway, uh, I think that just about does it for me. Um, I'm, <laughs> I, I was going to name this one, but I'm, I'm not done yet. I'm about halfway through Scream 4. So I was gonna, I was, I was gonna make a joke that there's a new Scream coming out. So I was like, so I decided I'd go back and watch Scream. Man, I four. did not know there was a new Scream coming out until I saw that trailer earlier today, and uh, it sucks that I'm gonna see that movie. Really not happy about it. <laughs> really, really. I haven't not watched happy the trailer yet because it's a real case of like, well, obviously I'm going to. I'm like, who cares? Yeah, if you're gonna see it, what's the point? It's like. 
oh cool so this is just halloween kills got it um but uh a movie that you also don't need to see yeah right, i yeah. It, like i wasn't planning on it but also i'm sure i'm gonna like what else is there to do exactly yeah. Um, All right, I guess we could save Dune and Pumpkinhead for after I figured talks, that so. was the way we were doing uh, this. Alex, um, go ahead then. Uh, so one brief note before I talk about the one other movie I watched this week, because I am less busy now than normal, but still very busy. Um, yeah, me too. So I had, by mostly indifference, not seen that Matrix trailer before today either. Oh my god, dude. What a disaster. That's going to be <laughs> awful, isn't it? <clears throat> it I have not seen that trailer camera. yet. I'm lucky. <laughs> dude. <laughs> I, that is one of the worst trailers I've ever seen in my life. I got real Terminator Genesis vibes from watching that shit, and like, Uh-oh. all right, now we're talking. I all was right, never mind. Might be an I, I had just penciled in like Matrix Four. Like, I'm gonna see this. I'm gonna rewatch the trilogy like I've been meaning to do for three years, like beforehand. Like, I, I, I'm definitely gonna do it. Like, this is gonna be at worst enjoyable for me. But after that trailer, like, might have just talked me out of it. Like. You guys will be able to talk me back into it when Parker inevitably sees it and tells us we have to watch it because it sucks so bad. But, like, I... Hell yeah. I, I, I've still God never damn. seen Revolutions, by the way. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I haven't seen I've two just, or three. I only saw the first one. I saw two in theaters, and I was like, well, they're going to make a fourth one. I'll just wait till it comes out to marathon them. I saw them back-to-back, and I don't remember much about either of them. Like, two and three, Future I mean. Future Oh, great. Uh, maybe maybe I'll I'll hop into those waters this week and I'll let you know. Oh hell yeah! It's, uh, I saw one a million times because yeah, nineteen ninety nine is the cool thing I'd ever seen. Yeah, I saw Reload in theaters and went, oh this kind of suck, and I've never seen how it ends. I'm aware of how it ends, but I've never seen it in action. So uh, yeah, that is the opposite of that. me. I have seen how it ends and am not aware of how it ends. So you know, <laughs> oh. well, that's promising. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, I had a, had a little chunk of time earlier today, and I actually, I found something for the, the Ken Jong space that is going to please the Manicore very, very deeply. <laughs> uh-uh. However, I was forced to put it off, because somebody pinged me on Discord and was like, hey, you want to watch this horror movie? And I was like, not really, what's it about? And he's like, well, uh, it's about a haunted house. I'm like, eh, it doesn't seem that interesting. That is underwater. And, uh... What? That is how I ended up watching 2021's The Deep House. Okay. So, uh... Create a new note. So... <laughs> so... How has this eluded me? Here is our premise. There's, uh, this, this couple. They're, like, you know, YouTube vloggers. They go to this village in France that, uh... There's apparently a bunch of, like, underwater architecture. Like, they do all this diving training and stuff. And they're like, yeah, we're gonna go see, like, just, lo- like, catalog these these underwater buildings. It'll be cool. They go there. It's like a tourist trap. There's, like, people everywhere. Like, and they're like, oh, this sucks. I guess we can't, you know. Thought we found this hidden gem, but I guess it's not that at all. And then some shady French guy's like, I will take you to this place in the woods where there is a house underwater. So they go out there. And, uh, they, they you know, scuba dive down. They find this house. Some weird shit going on, and uh, turns out there's like ghosts and demons and shit. And it's a great premise. The execution is uh, extremely generic, but all of it happens underwater in scuba suits. So it's it kind of works. Like like Parker, y- you like you don't need to watch this movie, but I know you will. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, yeah, I, like yeah, <laughs> it's too good of a premise. Like you can't not. Like, I have to know, even if it's horrible. I yeah. have to see this through. I, it's like a two-star movie. It's just there, there's nothing original there except for the premise. But uh, 
boy, that premise carries you through, like, a solid 40 minutes of, well, this is boring. Like, oh, there's some demonic shit going on. Oh, there's a body in the basement? That's weird. Why is there a body in the basement of this underwater house? I sure hope it doesn't come back to life and chase people. But, uh, yeah, I mean, you know what you're in for. But... Uh, it sounds wretched. I can't wait. Yeah, yeah. It's literally only a recommendation for you. I think it's like under eighty minutes. Uh, yeah, you'll you'll enjoy yourself. I uh I, I put this on earlier, and uh, my girlfriend looked at me and went, "That's the girl that used to date Harry Styles." So uh, if that means anything to you, like, congrats, <laughs> I guess. Not. Yeah. <laughs> Gabby, if you're listening, he's on the market. <laughs> And uh, Parker, go ahead and talk about some movies, because uh, <laughs> I right. I have a lot of things that I'm very excited to get to next week, in theory. Okay. But uh, well, I have something I'm excited for you and I to get to. But let me just say a couple things first here. So, uh, big week for both Alec Baldwin and Sandworms in my house, because I watched Beetlejuice <laughs> after Chris talked about it last week. Nice. Hell yeah, dude. <laughs> I don't know why I don't watch Beetlejuice more often. Right? Isn't it perfect? <laughs> <It's> so good. <laughs> Dude, Glenn Shaddix in that movie is my hero. Yeah, but who's your favorite actor in the movie? Like, who who does the best performance? Say the name. Just say the name. Just say Jeffrey Jones. <laughs> I don't want to say that. <laughs> He's actually good in that movie. He kills me. <laughs> uh, but yeah, like, what I predicted last week came true, wherein I don't think about Beetlejuice for years. I sit down and watch it and go, this is really fucking good. Why don't I ever watch this? Guys, we should watch this more, and then uh, get back to me in three more years when I haven't watched Beetlejuice since, and then he forced me to watch it again. Mm-hmm. It's an endless loop in my life, but uh, yeah, I don't really have any uh, insightful takes about Beetlejuice, especially because you covered it well enough last week. I watched yeah. They Live for the first time in many, many, many years. Oh, hell yeah, dude, you had the best week. <laughs> Talk about a movie that gets better every time you watch it. Yeah, so I, I think both of us were watching that Red Letter Media comment on every... Uh, John Carpenter movie. I really like what Jay Bauman said. That may have the single best shot in movie history, where he puts on the glasses for the first time. It's because uh, I'm like, you know, what? I think that wins the biscuit. That seems incredible, honestly. That whole sequence of him just walking around the city and seeing everything is so good. Uh, guess who didn't remember that the last shot of the movie was <laughs> that woman banging an alien, <laughs> cutting the credits. <laughs> I had no memory of that whatsoever. It fucking killed me. I, I really like how uh, the character of, uh, well, I guess really just Roddy Piper. He doesn't have a name. Uh, how Roddy Piper's character just changes completely once he gets those glasses. When he leaves the bank, he's got that shotgun, and he sees that little flying drone thing. When he he looks at it, well, hello, little friend, <laughs> <laughs> spying on me, eh? <laughs> he is. So good in this movie, dude. And that no fucking fight scene. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <one of> <laughs> I'm sorry, he was great in Mortal Kombat. I right, thank you. There we uh, go. Two other movies, <laughs> also Frog <Tank. laughs> Anyway, like uh, that fight scene. There's so many moments that really come back to me, but what I really like is where he almost like gets him right in the balls, and he's like, oh, "I'm sorry, you dirty motherfucker." <laughs> <laughs> It's hard to not just to walk around and just every slide you just go, not this year. And you just fucking square <laughs> up and start knocking shit over. Uh, the little lady had no idea what this movie was about, who was in it, anything. All she knew was, uh, as we got to the fight scene, as a South Park aficionado, as soon as I explained it, she was in hysterics because it just kept going and going 
and she just kept remembering <laughs> line for line. And then of Thank course, you she gentlemen, does we have a cripple fight. Cripple fight has had that one. All right, boys, break it up. Who <laughs> <laughs> are the best punchlines? <laughs> Dirty motherfucker. <laughs> also, like, she's never seen Immortal Combat or Hell Comes to Frogtown. She didn't watch wrestling in the 80s, but she knows Hot Rod as Domaniac from Always Sunny. So she had a wonderful time. Also, she's big into conspiracies, as we'll talk about later. Oh, and, uh, boy, just watching this movie unfold with her just being like, this is wrestler dude why are they out this homeless encampment and then just the scene with the glasses and it immediately clicking into place like oh yeah you're all yeah. in yeah what a good fucking movie what an incredible run of movies like mm-hmm. was it 10 11 movies in a row i think my so. god just i don't think we'll ever see anything like that again probably not nor should we i hope we, we don't do, deserve it but uh <clears throat> man we really don't no we are absolute garbage speaking of Chris, you know I'm passionate about Flash Gordon after you made me watch it. Oh, so hell let's talk yeah. about Dune 1984. <laughs> one of the most confusing things I've ever seen in my fucking life. Well, I, it certainly is accurate to the book in that respect. Why would they cram the whole book into this movie? I like, think it was a studio mandate. I think it was what, uh, was that Dino De Laurentiis was a producer on it? Absolutely. I think he was, yeah. So we get to the point where Dune 2021 ends, right? And I'm like, yeah. okay. I've been able to follow most of this because I know these beats now. All these characters are dead. We're streamlining it. And it gets more confusing. <laughs> I don't understand. <laughs> it jumps around so much in the second half. I was, I could not have been more lost. And that it's was a- with me. I watched that after getting home from watching Dune in theaters. So, like, it was all fresh. I knew what the mod dib was now. I knew what all these terms meant. And then for the whole second hour, I'm just staring slack-jawed like, maybe I'm stupid. I don't know. <laughs> That's the thing. It's like, so what, one of the things that really gets me, and I know you're, you're a Star Wars fan. No offense. But, like, apparently Taken. David Lynch was going to uh, <laughs> was going to do one of the uh, the Star Wars uh, sequels. He was going to do Return of the Jedi. He was going to do Return. about yeah. it and everything. It's like, boy, imagine how that would have turned out. Because the things that I like in Dune 1984 are the David Lynch things, where he just makes it look as strange as possible. That's what kind of reminds me about Yodorowsky's Dune, which we'll get into when we get oh, into yes, the real will. Dune. But, like, the the weird stuff, the, like, the stuff that makes it, like, Lynchian is the stuff that I like. I think a lot of people don't like that. Most people hate this movie, but they hate it for different reasons. A lot of people are like, well, it wasn't accurate to the book. I'm like... Look, it's kind of hard to get the book wrong because, like, there's so much that he doesn't describe. The science is soft enough that you could just, like, spread it on bread. But that what that means is that you have, like, a lot of leeway to just, oh, I think it looks like this. And the spaceships look like that. He never really describes what the spaceships look like or even the ornithopters. He just says that they have wings. It's like, okay, that could mean anything then. You know, you could just, like, make it up in your head as far as you go. And that means that if you have a visual mind, then you could make whatever you like. Now, that being said, I'm watching... I think I told you about this, Parker. It's like, I'm watching Dune 1984 right after reading the whole book. And I'm like, okay, let's see what this is. And I'm like, wow, this is actually all right. This really isn't that bad. What's everyone complaining about? And the first scene where the shields come in, I'm like, oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> that is, the special effects are so bad. <laughs> like, I've seen bad special effects before, but this is, like, so in your face. You're just like, oh, no, you can't put this on a screen. People will see it. <laughs> A real who's who in this cast, by the way. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like, is that Patrick Stewart with long hair? What the fuck right? Is that? What the fuck is this? I watched the movie for an hour and I paused and went, 
Is that fucking Chucky? And they had to stop the movie and look it up. And it was, in fact, yeah. Chucky. Fucking Everett McGill is a man of the desert. Man, I just could not give a shit less about the Fremen. Like, do not care. <laughs> Fuck these yeah. sand people. I mean, um... Uh, yeah, we, yeah, there's, uh, a, there's a lot of... There's a lot of plot holes in this one, uh, but there, there's still things I like. I think the sandworms look pretty cool. The music's pretty good. Uh, they, I don't know. I, I, it's kind of weird for me to defend this because it's been a while since I've seen Dune 1984. I think it was, I think it was a little bit before the podcast started that I had watched it, and uh, I don't, I don't remember specifically what I like. But for the most part, like I like my Kyle MacLachlan. He's all right. Uh, the conclusion was extremely stupid, and not to spoil the book or anything, but no, he can't literally make it rain. That's really dumb uh and it kind of destroys the the character and what they're trying to do with the narrative so don't look for uh, that to happen in part two (laughs) the waitress at tgi friday said that to vince young (laughs) i'm gonna keep that so in this better (laughs) please you fucking better (laughs) so uh i don't think i like this movie but also i was heavily vibing with it because like it, they had to build all these elaborate sets and all these stupid costumes. It's very Flash Gordon-y. Like, why why does the Atreides family have all of these pugs for two scenes and then they're never seen again, Chris? Can why we, do they have we, so many dogs? Can we also talk about uh, the Emperor? <laughs> she literally, like, oh my god. Between the Emperor and the Baron. Like, anytime the Baron was on screen, she would just look away because it was just so... <laughs> Pussy and disgusting. She he looks like one of the garbage mail kids. It's one of the most vile things I've ever seen on camera. <laughs> yeah, uh, so I was expecting like, okay, yeah, I know the beads, and then the emperor comes and immediately texts you like, hey man, what the fuck is this thing? <laughs> what is this giant? Brain I'll tell you jar? that that is not the way it's described in the book. That's like one of the things. It's like, well, the book it says he has red hair. It isn't just mother brain sitting in a fucking tank. Like, imagine how stupid I felt thinking like, well, I literally just got out of the theater. I know what a bunch of these names are. Like, this will at least help me for half the movie. And then the opening scene is a woman staring at the camera, explaining the different planets, and then it's Max von Sydow talking to a brain in a jar. I felt like the world's biggest asshole sitting there like, well, no, I was wrong. See, one of the things I don't like about the movie is, I I guess maybe my biggest problem with it, is that David Lynch is known for weirdness. He does all these things that are eccentric, that are different. They're off the beaten path. And he turns in this, which a studio cuts down to perhaps the most conventional science fiction movie I've ever seen. And that breaks my heart because Dune, the book, the story, is different from everything else. It's it's completely unique and inspired so much. And I like it because it's different and it, it stands out from everything else. This movie, it just sort of falls by the wayside. And that kind of breaks my heart because there's a lot to like about it. Uh, anyway, yeah. So different portrayals of the Bla- of the Baron Vladimir Harkonnen, where you get in uh, the twenty twenty one movie, still in Skarsgård, talking like this. And I don't know who played him in the nineteen eighty four version, but he's like, uh, maybe Parker would remember this better than Alex. But like, remember Henry the Red in uh, Army of Darkness? <laughs> he kind of looks I like sure that do. guy. <laughs> where he, he grabs Bruce Campbell by the chest, goes ha. <laughs> this uh, is so upsetting. The, yeah. This would have been a perfect Marlon Brando role. Oh yes, yeah, actually, it, would have, it was probably made for him. Look, uh, yeah, sorry. we've talked before about Yodorowsky's Dune and how like we wish it could have happened. Yeah, watching both these back to back and remembering that Baron Harkonnen was supposed to be Orson Welles on a planet designed by H.R. <laughs> Giger is a thing that I would give anything to have in my life. 
Oh my dad! This nightmare. God. The 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 trailer for Yodorowsky's Dune was part of the pre-show, and my dad had never seen it before, or even I think heard about it. But when he saw that uh, uh, Orson Welles was thought of, and my dad's like, for the Baron, right? He's like four hundred pounds. Of course. And, I'm, and I'm like, yeah. See, like he's gonna say it's just like, and Orson Welles. He said to me, he said no. I say, if you join my movie, I will get the chef of this restaurant, and you will eat as though you are at this restaurant for the entire shoot. And he say yes. And my dad laughed so and I good. thought it was very funny. It's so. so good that he just found, quartered him in a restaurant. It's like, hey, piggy boy, I'll have this chef make you food every day if you play the Baron. And he was like, all right, I'm in. He's just like stupid. Come here, fat boy. <laughs> fucking owns. He really does. Or did. Anyway, yeah. his word candy. Yeah, I've so. uh, never been more confused in my life. Uh, opened the Wikipedia, got more confused, and just let it wash over me. Because yeah. why bother fighting? Yeah. One day I'll read the book or three chapters from it and get a headache no, and stop. No, you won't. So. <laughs> uh, two chapters. No, you won't. Oh, two chapters. Hey, there you go. I'm a going page. under. Yeah. First paragraph. Hieroglyphics? All right, what's higher? Chapters Parker gets through or Lions wins this year? Also, to be fair, chapter one's like 200 pages. So that's also not going to happen. The book is only 500. Which, by the way, it's like a clear sign. It's like, hey, maybe don't make this an entire movie. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, do you have any other ones? I have one more that I would okay, very much right. like to talk about with my good friend Alex. Buddy. Please tell me. So, uh, Demi Lovato's out there just solving the secrets <laughs> of the universe. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for turning me on to four episodes of Unidentified with Demi Lovato. This is not the greatest thing you've seen in 2021. One of the worst shows I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, it's so bad. I love that it was very clearly filmed with the intention of just airing on regular TV. And they just threw it on Peacock and changed nothing. Like, there's fade to blacks every 20 minutes for commercial breaks. Oh, yeah. It's... I am obsessed with Demi's friend, who just looks like he's dressed from like all of the kids from Recess at the exact same time. <laughs> he is the coolest guy I've ever seen in my life. Like, imagine you live in buttfuck nowhere. You think you got abducted by aliens and impregnated by them. And then Demi Lovato and her dipshit sister and friend show up like, Oh my god, that's so crazy. Wow, I also have ovarian cysts. You're like, word, I have 26 alien babies out there. <laughs> He's not exaggerating. Not even a little bit. <laughs> See, I thought every episode was going to be about aliens. <laughs> Imagine how stupid I felt <laughs> when episode two follows the famous wraith chasers into a haunted house. <laughs> into a haunted, abandoned fucking mining town. <laughs> Can we go there? Is there like a place we can go? We have to. I love the bit where they go into the old haunted whorehouse. <laughs> and it's like, oh, the, uh, the ghosts here, uh, they don't like the male presence in here. So the guys leave and Demi Lovato just starts singing at them. It's it, like, you say leave, but what actually happens is the guys walk like six feet away into like the foyer. And <laughs> they're like, whoa, you guys feel that? <laughs> A uh, big fan of episode three, where we learn, you and I together, that there's a term for UFOs, but for things underwater. Correct. <laughs> Identified submerged objects. You want to talk oh, about? Just, 
You want to talk about that lady who was living out our fantasy as uh, Oh, do you mean the ladies who was introduced as ufologists slash cryptozoologists? Correct. I will do anything for those credentials. <laughs> and then she gets paid money to just take them out on a boat and play whale sounds and be like, huh, maybe they'll come up today. And then they almost crash. It's so good. <laughs> I love this show. It is one of the worst things I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> it is absolutely wretched top to bottom. It's one of those things that, like, if you know, you know. And if you're even, like, slightly on the fence, like, don't watch it. Like, when episode one opens with, uh, yeah, I've always, uh, you know, had these paranormal experiences. And it just cuts to a clip from Kesha's podcast talking about ghosts. I was like, damn, this is probably <laughs> meant for me. <laughs> Cannot wait for that Kesha ghost hunting show, by Did the way. We deserve it i will follow that religiously discovery plus you've nabbed two customers so <laughs> yeah <laughs> congrats on your ten dollars a month guys <laughs> just an absolutely wretched show <laughs> i don't even remember what the fourth episode was about because i watched them all in a row and by then i was just starting to black out it was yeah. overwhelming yeah i feel like the episodes got longer and longer four episodes is like slightly too much but yeah, 45 you know. <laughs> minutes apiece. I was I was ready to tap out, but also I knew I wasn't going to go back to finish it, so I had yeah, to see it through. Yeah, you have to. <laughs> what, what an absolutely amazing te- uh, television program. I wish I could force everybody at gunpoint to watch it, just to hear their takes on it. This is low-key the best part about these streaming wars, where every single company's like, no, we need to produce our own content, because, like, this shouldn't exist. Correct. Who would pay money for this? There's no reason for anyone to even think to make this. But you got to fill up. It's October. What do we have? Uh, fucking, I don't know. Uh, we lost all the ghost hunting shows to Discovery because they put their own thing out. Well, um, Demi Lovato thinks she got abducted. So let's just uh, <laughs> let's give her three hours of free reign to tell just, us. Just let her riff. Just let her riff. Absolutely. Let's let her bring her friends along. It's just, man, it's really good. Watch an episode and a half, you'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> but also make sure it's episode two. And also episode one. Two's, episode one and two are... You could have just stopped there. Honestly, I should have yeah. stopped there. Episode one and two are quality content. And then by three, you're like, all right, man, I get it. It's just going to be the same thing every time. Yeah. Oh, she's oh she's going to go see a hypnotist? Great. Do not <laughs> care. But uh, yeah, that'll do it for me. Let us, which movie shall we discuss first, friends? I think going with uh, Dune would probably be best. All right. Okay. Let's let's go with Dune now. I think I'm the only one at this table right now that has actually read the book. Uh, Correct. Not that there's anything wrong with that. I think that's totally fair. Hey, you're and right. There's nothing wrong with you for reading it. Thank you. I appreciate that. And one of the things about this is I I understand I'm going in this with a little bit of bias as someone who did enjoy the book, enjoy it enough to read it twice. Uh, I was this fuck? is. This is something that I was uh, uh, makes up for to. one of us at least. Yeah, you know. In the clear. Yeah, there you go. Wait, I, what uh, do you get? Hold on. Let's look I mean, for this. Come on. Come on. See what the dice say. So the movie was oh, pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is something I had been looking forward to for a while, and it's kind of one of those things where, when I watched the nineteen eighty four version, <laughs> I was like, "Well, it went about as well as I could have gone." And then upon watching Yodorowsky's Dune, I was like, "Oh wait, this is unfilmable." How could they ever, like, make a movie out of this? Well, I'll give him a try. And I know uh, Dennis Villeneuve is a very good director. I like his work. I was counting uh, on you to say it, because I don't know how to say it. So I will will not learn it. I'm sorry. Dennis V. 
Yeah. Dennis. Anyway, <laughs> I yeah, I looked it up and uh, I think it's like French. I think it's Dennis Villeneuve or whatever. And I I don't know. I don't care. I, that was. Uh, anyway, so the trailer comes out and I'm like, wow, this is. It's actually a really good trailer. And that's got Timothy Chalamet and Jason Mimosa. I'm like, oh no. Uh, well, you know, maybe it'll be good. And then, like, I more trailers come out. I'm like, this actually looks pretty good. They got a fair amount of humor in this. The, the music sounds great. I'm, I'm actually getting really into this. I'm getting really hyped. Uh, the, re- the early reviews come out, and although somewhat mixed, uh, people do seem to enjoy it. So I gave it a shot, and I took my dad to see it on uh, more or less opening night. Uh, technically not, because people are watching on HBO, uh, because I was released there a day before. Thanks so much, Warner Brothers. And uh, I gotta tell you, I loved it. I, uh, I really, really enjoyed this one. Uh, but before I get into detail, I'll hand this off to Parker, who saw it next. Well, I loved it more than I thought I would, but also this was the first movie I've seen at an Alamo in almost two years, so I was uh, yeah. <laughs> drinking like a madman. So uh, any of the slow points where he just really had a lot of time for the characters just to sit around and think <laughs> around each other, I was I was already pretty tipsy. So oh, so the whole thing. Yeah. Yes, correct. All right, Alex, I, I guess started early. To... Turns out I had a bunch of gift cards, so I started oh, nice. just putting them back, and I was vibing. All right, Alex, uh, I'll let you get to your take. Um, that's fine. I, uh, like, like, I'm not, like, I don't know how much the source material and how much is the director with a lot of my problems with this movie. And, like, like, well, I've talked to a lot of people that have, you know, read the books and are, like, intimately familiar with the source material. And, like, every time that, like, I talk to them and I brought up a point, it's like, this thing was really stupid, but I'm sure it was, you know, the source, like, the source material. And they're like, yeah, yeah, you know, it's it's not really much to work with there, which I get. But also, like, so I love the idea of Dune in theory, and I love that they, you know, put this kind of budget into a movie about this book that, you know, nobody but Chris has read in, like, 40 years. But, um... I, as we will get to as we talk further about this, I'm kind of over our, our good friend Dennis V's movies in general. Like, I think just, they're just not for me. Like, I, if you if you look back at all of them, like, I'm kind of, like, much, much lower than consensus on all of them. And, like, I get why they're appealing. You know, Parker mentioned the word vibes, which is a word that I've heard thrown around a lot about this movie. But also, like... I walked out of that theater and all I could think was like, "All right, cool, man. Jack off motion. You saw two thousand one. I did too. Like, it, eh. I see what you're going for. I, I don't need to see that movie again. Somebody well, else did it on better." Well, on the subject of two thousand one, <coughs> uh, a movie that some people like to label art house. One of the reviews I saw for Dune was that it marries the uh, the the box office with the art house, and it, it should have crossover appeal. It's. I think it's made, what, $150 million so far, which is pretty good. I don't know if that's enough to uh, marry the two concepts, but it does seem to be doing well both with, uh, like, hardcore cinema fans and people who just want a nice space movie where the toughest man in the universe is named Duncan Idaho. Yeah, uh, and, and like, <laughs> I, like, so, we're going to get into everything, obviously, but um, mm-hmm. it's very staggering to be, excuse me, it's very staggering to me that this has had the mainstream appeal that it has because like it's a two and a half hour movie that's kind of about nothing with a bunch of one-dimensional characters which like you wouldn't think normies would go for but maybe it's really just like the nerds showing out in force like i don't know 
I, I really don't know. Like, 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 I know this movie's done well, and I'm glad this movie did well, because I want movies like this to do well, even if I didn't care for this. But, uh, mm-hmm. I, I don't see the crossover appeal here, and we'll get to that, so... So, one of the things I, I saw about it, I think I might as well start off this with uh, perhaps my biggest criticism of the movie, uh, is that it's part one. Now, I, I knew it was part one because Parker told me about that, and I, I've heard some people complaining that they didn't know it was a part one because they don't follow film Twitter. They don't even have a Twitter, so they had no way of knowing that this is a part one. They feel kind of suckered that uh, part two is not out yet. Uh and the thing is, even though I knew that this was going to happen, even though I had mentally prepared myself, I when I was rereading the book up to the point, I was just like, okay, here's probably where they're going to cut it off. You know, here's like the part one and part two of the book. Uh, even though I knew that was going to happen, while watching the movie, I was like, oh, this is a movie desperately in need of its sequel immediately. And it kind of it kind of reminds me of The Fellowship of the Ring, a movie that I liked, I think, quite a bit more than you guys did. Uh, where I love the movie, but as soon as I was, I was like, they don't even go to Mortar? Are you fucking kidding me? And Dad's like, no, Chris, it's in Two Towers. It's not out here. It's I have to son. wait? <laughs> Life is a highway, son. I want to drive it all night long. So I had to wait. And uh, I now I have to wait for part two here. But that, that being said, what this movie does well for a part one is it's all about the world building. It's setting up, these are the characters, this is how the world works. This is how Arrakis works, here's how the technology works, here's what it looks like, here's the atmosphere that we're trying to build. Uh, I, I, however, even when you get movies like this, like think about like Hunger Games part one, or more basic, something everyone's seen, like Sorcerer's Stone, right? That is a movie with like a beginning, middle, and end. This movie yeah. doesn't really have an end. It just sort of peters out. It kind of doesn't really have a beginning either. <laughs> like, uh, that's, just aren't, it's just like stuff happening. Like, See, that's that's the... I, I guess I kind of have to disagree, but only because it's more of a beginning than uh, than the book. Uh, the book, I think the first... What are the first words of the book? I think the first words of the book are something like, a beginning is a delicate time. And uh, he begins it maybe perhaps too delicately because he sort of begins in media stress. This actually has a bit of a prologue. This actually has... Um, I think it's I think it's Zendaya. I, I could be wrong. Yeah. I think it, yeah I think it's Zendaya as Chani, uh, saying uh, who the Harkonnens are, where she lives, and uh, what they have there, and why the Harkonnens are leaving, and all this stuff. And I my first thought was, uh oh, that's how the 1984 version began too. <laughs> it's like we are treading dangerously close to the wrong version of Dune here. Uh, that is the beginning. If we're going to talk about what the beginning is, that is the uh, the prologue. That is, or maybe even the preface of the movie. Uh, but if your criticism is that it has no beginning, do you mean that it takes too long to get going, perhaps? So, uh, like, I would posit that this movie doesn't get going is kind of more of my criticism. Um, I feel like in anything that, like, I understand that, like, Dune, like, in literary circles is, like, kind of sacrosanct, even though I don't really know that many people that actually like it. It's just more it's one of those... It's only sacrosanct because it's best-selling. Yeah, yeah, it's one of those things that, like, like I know a lot of people that have read it. I don't know a lot of people that have read it and are like, dude, you gotta read Dune. You know what I mean? Like... Oh, I know those people. Don't worry, they're I, I, all my friends. They <laughs> exist. I understand they exist. Yeah, just, yeah they're but, out there. Um, uh, I just... I, I feel like there's not... Like, I understand, like, I, I'm very pro-world building. I love lore, especially in science fiction. Like, like just load me up with lore. But, like, this was, like, a lot less lore than I was expecting and a lot more, like, brooding people staring into the camera and, like, slow pans to cool-looking shots and uh, 
all of the thing that the things that piss me off when movies just like waste my time with them. Really? Uh, okay, so I think maybe that's where like our different perspectives on these right. sort of things are. It's kind of starting to sound like your criticism of the A twenty four horror movies, where like yes. you appreciate that like it's somewhat well made, but it's clearly not doing what you want it to do. It, it, it's not even. It's not like I don't go into movies like this with like some idea of what I want to happen. I'm not just like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, I hope we get this and this and this. It's just like. I know I'm dealing with a technically proficient director who's going to give me some cool-looking shots and who makes mm-hmm. movies that a lot of people really love. And uh, to this movie's credit for most people and, you know, opposite of credit for me, like, this is a lot like his other movies. Like, it's very, very similar to Arrival and 2049 and even Sicario to an extent. Like, they, they are structured very much in the same ways. I just hate that structure. Like it's just yeah. it it it's not it's not for me. And like I don't think that's a source material problem because I think there's enough in the Dune source material for like me to get enjoyment out of. But like oh. I just it just really feels like a director jacking himself off in front of his camera. Like so okay. much of it to me. So and I, I, I can't I'll muster it. I'll muster a good defense here. Then we're gonna okay. let Parker speak yeah, because yeah, yeah. we've been sort of letting we've been not letting him speak here. So one of the things that I think that the movie does so well is the subtlety and one of the ways that they do it is with those characters just staring off at each other or at the sand or at the world or something like that. There are so many internal monologues in Dune, the book, that you really can't turn into dialogue because it'll sound really stupid. Uh, just look at the 1984 version of Dune where you can yeah. hear everyone's internal monologue. Oh in my god. <laughs> Everyone has internal dialogue and it's just a voiceover while they're staring at the camera. Yeah, Sometimes they so have internal monologues. monologues when they're looking at each other. You're just like, no, don't do this. I, ah, I, he's becoming yeah. brazen. I don't know if I can trust him with the throne. <laughs> Great. Perfect. One of the things I talked about when I... I don't know if you guys follow the, the games channel that we have, but when talking about the Metroid series, one of the things that that series does well is it tells a story without words. Which is extraordinarily difficult to do when you have Dune, one of the wordiest stories ever told. And I think the movie actually does a really great job because you have to communicate that Timothy Chalamet, as Paul Atreides, as Maudib, as Aquizat Sadrach, as Lisan Al Gaib, is thinking this. And you have to do it just with facial acting. Uh, this sounds weird, but uh, I've mentioned this at least a half dozen times, but Hayden Christensen does a really good job of this in Star Wars 3. He is a great facial actor, but what he has to say, all this sci-fi dialogue, it sounds really oh, stupid. He, yeah, yeah, he can't deliver a line. Yeah. Uh, no, I compl- yeah. I'm completely with you. Yeah. As the yeah, person so among us right, right. that yeah. watched this the most recently. Like, trust right, me, yeah, I understand. Exactly. Yeah, like, yeah, right, right, right. So I like that this movie will give me an opportunity to see these characters look somewhere, and I can tell what they're thinking based on their facial expression and based on the music, based on the shot, based on the lighting, etc. Now, that being said... I know that's not really fair because I actually read the book and I actually know what they're thinking or supposed to be thinking in the scene. I'm banking, and so is the director, Dennis Villeneuve, is banking on the audience looking at this and saying, okay, I think I know what they're going through based on what I've seen so far. And that's extremely difficult with a story with this much lore packed into it. Uh, Parker, I'm sorry, we've been going too much. Please get in on this. I had other thoughts, but that just triggered a thought because... you know, you have to adapt it, you have to be faithful, but compared to things like when, like, Twilight and Harry Potter were coming out, where, you know, like, if we don't nail this 100%, we're going to get screamed at by millions of people, compared to, 
we have to do this right, but also, it's so fucking unapproachable for 90% of audiences. How do we make this make sense, but also not alienate everyone who's coming because they read this with their fucking grandpa? And I do not envy that task. That sounds like an absolute nightmare. I think that's fair. This is one of those stories where it's it's easy to get, like, the, the wrong stuff wrong, and... Uh, easy to get like the wrong stuff right as well it, it just, just depends where you're putting your effort so here's an example of a big change from the book that I thought they handled really well is the character of Leah Kynes she's uh, the ecologist for the planet in the book that was a man and he was not one of the people of the desert he had sort of gone native he was actually part of the emperor's sort of thing and he died like in the second part of the story and he was off on the desert all by himself he didn't really have that strong of a connection like he's in there but he's not as as strong of a character as the actress is in this movie and i thought that was a great change she's a stronger character as a result and it it adds something to the story uh i then again there are certain things that they changed that i didn't like and it's a very very small uh note here but it's about zendaya uh zendaya is also the actress from the new spider-man movies uh she's uh what is it, she mary jane or something like that i haven't seen them and uh She's in this mostly to sort of appear as a dream sequence thing, and then when she finally meets Paul uh, towards the end, she tells him that she, he's going to lose to Jamis in this knife fight, and then he kicks the guy's ass, and uh, I just felt like kind of a wasted scene for her saying that, because uh, in the book there's like a lot more to her. She's already sort of fallen for him before even having met him, because she's having similar visions, because he's this messiah sort of character, also the spice has uh, hallucinogenic properties. Uh, Alex, what did you think of Zendaya, and I guess the acting at large in this movie? Well, to uh, comment on that scene specifically, I, I really mm-hmm. appreciated that was the 17th close-up we got of the knife. Like, thanks, we get it, we get it, the knife's important. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, wow, it's a really cool shot, you got the logo with it and everything, like, oh, that's a nice little holster, like, man, did you make that yourself? Like, just jack-off motion, uh, the whole fucking time. But, uh, I, I, like, I didn't have a problem with her character, other than the fact that, like, I knew her character was supposed to be important, and she shows up at, like, the two-hour ten mark. Like, it's like, oh, cool. This is stuff for the next movie that I'm not watching right now. Thanks for uh, taking my 20 bucks. That's cool. Uh, yeah, but, uh, but what... like, on a more serious note, because, like, you, you wanted me to speak to the acting in general, which I'm going to yes. do. But, like, yeah. it's a prequel. I get that it's a prequel. It wasn't advertised as a prequel, and I think to your comment about, like, people being mad that they didn't know it was a part one... Mm-hmm. I, I knew, like, ostensibly it's a part one because it's a book series, but, like, I was expecting, you know, something to happen. This feels like the first hundred pages of a novel. And, uh... I can say... Oh, sorry to me. No, 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 do your thing. I was burping, but you're good. <laughs> I was gonna say, uh, I agreed with you the entire drive home, and then I got home and watched the 1984 version, and, uh, no. No. Keep it in part one. Yeah, right, yeah. And that's overwhelming. I, I, I'm not. Say, I don't think Alex is saying. Yeah, say, that's I, not I what I'm Alex saying. Is saying I know. Like, I'm just fucking. <laughs> yeah. I just. I had the similar thoughts. Of like, I mean, I guess that's kind of an ending. Like, we're starting here next time, and then I watched how it unfolded, and I was like, oh fuck, no, 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 don't. Do that. I, I will say that maybe WB and Dennis Villeneuve have sort of screwed themselves by not just filming them back to back. Like, I think didn't like, didn't like Game of Thrones do that? They just filmed the season all at once. Yeah, and I then, don't know like, why they didn't. Like, like, like that. I think like, I think WB was not going to put up the yeah. money for it. 
You know, I think that's what's also, going on there. How many fucking times can he whiff a franchise? Didn't we just go through this with fucking Justice League? Like, just film them both, you cowards. Yeah. <laughs> oh, There's one a more lot thing. of people. There's a lot of schedules you got to fix up back together again. You should have just done it. <laughs> and one so, more thing about the budget for this, I, it, Alex. I promise this will lead into you. No, uh, this movie costs like thirty-five million dollars less to make than Jungle Cruise. <laughs> <laughs> uh, future episode. Um, oh, okay, all right. Hold on. Uh, so I think that weird. that like kind of ties into a lot of my problems with this <clears> movie <throat> is because like I'm not gonna rag on the director or the studio for like wanting this to be a franchise because again it's the first half of the first book in what a seven book series. So like yeah, of course oh. that's what your fucking goal is. <laughs> but there are so many scenes in this movie that just reeked of Tom Cruise mummy to me. Where it's just like, hey guys, first movie in the franchise, you're seeing this one, so you're gonna see the rest. Like, this is definitely gonna be a thing, we're not gonna fuck this up. And like, that bothers me. I try not to let it bother me, because that's every fucking movie these days. Just like everything with tie-ins and sequel teases and this and that. But this movie just felt so bogged down by that stuff to me. And, like, okay. I, it, it's I, this is, like, an interesting conversation to me. Like, before I continue into the acting point that you made ten minutes mm-hmm. ago that I'm finally going to get to. Oh, yeah, we should to, get to but that. Like, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I didn't forget. Don't worry. Yeah, um, I, I, I feel like I liked this movie more than, like, I'm sounding like I liked it. But, like, I liked it considerably less than you. And I, I, mm-hmm. I like, I, I'm trying to draw out that difference. You know what I mean? Like, Yeah, I understand like, where you're going for. And here is one of the major differences. I definitely did not feel... Like, this was the, the Tom Cruise movie thing first in the series sort of thing. And I think I know why. I only read the first book in the series. I've only ever read Dune. I have not read Dune Messiah, Children of Dune, Dune Gets a Fixed Rate Mortgage, or whatever. I, I don't know. I don't know those other ones. So I don't feel like it's going to set that stuff up. I don't know which scenes in particular you thought. Maybe the stuff of the Baron, I guess. I think he's a recurring villain or something like that. I'm pretty I, sure he survives at the end of Dune. I could be wrong. Uh, I mean, like, that that seemed like a cool subplot that, like, we didn't touch. But, like, I mean, like, they give us big white letters to show us each different planet we go to. And most of them were there once for 30 seconds. It's like, well, it's not here to support this movie. Like, you wouldn't put this in if it were just about what we're watching on the scene. Like, Like, oh, yeah, that's the Imperial planet. We saw that in the first movie for 45 seconds. Cool. Like, So, here's here's one. I think the reason that they do this... The vibes to me were less Tom Cruise mummy and more like the Flintstones movie from 1994. What the so fuck? Right. I, there's, a, there's, a going to this. there's a reason I'm going to do this. It's because the, the thing is the 1994 uh, Flintstone movie has like, remember like John Goodman sliding down the dinosaur? He recreates the opening scene. It's, it's very much a I know what that is sort of thing. And I think mm-hmm. it was a and I know what that is sort of thing for the book readers. When it shows Caladan... We never go back to Caladan. There's no reason to go back there. That's why they only show up for about 30 seconds. And you're right, they do do that. I think that people are like, oh, great, that's exactly what it is. Which feels a little strange to me because, like, if you read the book, you know, right? Uh, where it was a little bit more helpful is where they show that uh, the Sardaukar planet, the uh, the prison planet population yeah. over there where those guys were, again, they show up for 30 seconds. Here's the difference between the movie and the book. In the book, they barely mention it the movie like 30 seconds is more than it's given in the book and it was just kind of nice to actually see that you know this is one of the things where you get into it with uh 
the Lord of the Rings again, which I, I've mentioned before, but in the first movie, you, you uh, remember the Balrog, right? That gigantic beast in the uh, with a whip and everything, and he's completely yeah. covered in flames, and he, he kills Gandalf, he says, fly fools, and he leaves. In the book, J.R.R. Tolkien seriously just writes the word, a giant beast wreathed in flame. That means nothing. It's, that that means as a director, you have to go, uh, fucking, okay, what do I go? What do I do? That doesn't piss off the fans, right? For, for the Sadokar planet... He really doesn't go into almost any detail. I was imagining the... Wasn't there a fucking prison planet uh, from, like, Guardians of the Galaxy or something like that? I guess I just sort of imagined that. I was and thinking was of the like, clone planet from, uh, what? What's that? The second the second prequel? Where they go I to the think, clone planet? Yeah, I'm, like, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna pretend like I don't know the planet. Yeah, thank right, you. Yeah, <laughs> I, 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 that's yeah, anyway, that's, I, that's I, what I was thinking. We, we're both looking at the same person on the podcast. Right, yeah, so basically. I I think what I think the that was what I was looking at. I was like, this is for the book readers. And I think that was a major constituency there. I do not actually agree with the idea that uh, at least Dennis Villanueva wants to turn this into a franchise. People I, like Dune... People don't really like Children of Dune very much. So I, I think what this is, is it kind of just want to be like the dream project. It's like people love Dune. They want to make Dune. Now, if they're going to be able to make Dune Messiah, hey, great for them. If they can make Children of Dune, good luck. And it's it's going to be a little bit tricky. If they can pull it off, I think WB would like it. I'm sure Warner Brothers would love exactly. it. And, uh, I think I, it, I, and and ultimately, at the end of the day, I don't care who wants it. I can tell someone involved wants right, it. Right, yeah. It's okay. more my point. I'm not yeah, trying to I, say, like, like, fuck you, guy that directed the movie that loves Dune. Like, no. it's it's right, it, doesn't, yeah. it doesn't matter where that's coming from. It almost, you're right, it does almost feel yeah. like, to me, more like studio interference stuff in the same way that a lot of the weird franchisey shit in the Tom Cruise Mummy did, which is why okay. that's the movie that I thought of. But, you know, but we're we're going a little we're going a little too far past the, the acting questions. Yeah, the acting. Alex, pick one character and describe their acting. Yeah, they're pretty good. Uh, <laughs> so I like Timothy Chalamet in everything else he's ever done, including the movies that I didn't care for that he was in. That's a bad cast. I would not have picked him for this role. I don't know what this role is supposed to convey. Like because uh, Chris, yeah, you know, wag your wag your book reading finger at me. I know, I get it, I know, but uh. There's a oh, lot of eyebrow like... acting and a lot of like like jowls and scowling and like I it just no this like, isn't man, a Ayn Rand novel no it, <laughs> like I I I I wish I could have seen like 25 year old Johnny Depp in this movie instead I feel like it would have given given me a lot more like actually I now I'm thinking about Leo I will say this I, I want to say it before you do that I got very serious Baron Trump vibes from Timothy Chalamet being a head taller than everyone else in his family. I, uh, I didn't think he was that tall. That was. Uh, but, I didn't uh, know that. I, I guess it's maybe because Oscar Isaac's really short. Was he like five nine? I think. Is that really short guess, now? Is that we're going with? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I guess Timothy uh, Shelby is six uh, one. Uh, uh, I will say this. I, I, you know, believe it or not. Uh, Timothy Chalamet is one of the ones that a lot of people are saying wasn't so great in this movie. Uh, I think mostly because people were focusing on Oscar Isaac and that beard. Holy shit. Yeah, I get it. What a beard. It's I definitely it. fair. Uh, now, Chalamet in this one, as a book reader, I have to say that Paul Atreides, I'm not saying he could be played by just anyone, but like Chalamet, just, he does the role. To me, he's sufficient. Yeah. I, this I don't is, know that I would that's, that's the vibe I got from talking to people that read yeah. the books. It's just yeah, like, it's, yeah, this is a nothing character. It's a nothing part, which like I thought might be the case. Like I, I don't know about nothing character. I, what we're really going to see as a test for this is when the second half hits, because in the second part of this book, 
I'm not saying he's got to change as a character, but he really needs to nail this. And I'll tell you this. I don't think that Timothy Chalamet can. I don't think that you can recast it now. He's, I, I he think he's a really good actor. Like I, I, I think, think he is a good actor. I, I don't think know I think if you give him this. some meat to chew on, he can chew it. But I don't think. Yeah, it's I mean, it's like, it's sort of like that argument about like you know, is this actor good for this part? You know, that sort of something like I, that. Like I just I I would have liked to have seen someone who was a bit more like lively and engaging. And I get that he's a fucking teenager and like expecting a teenager and like you can. You can talk yourself into this performance very, very easily because, again, we're dealing with a character that's what fifteen, something like yeah, that. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah something like that. I, it, it's just like it's one of those things where, like, if it were just his character that were that were like this, then I would be like, okay, cool, that's a choice. But like, this whole fucking movie is built around these characters where they're like hey, here's this guy for 10 minutes. He's on screen for 10 minutes. That's how you know he's important. Wow, isn't it going to suck if this guy that you've known for 10 minutes dies in the next scene? Wouldn't that be tragic and horrible? And then it's like, wow, that guy that I don't give a shit about yet because you've given me no reason to have died again. It just happens oh. over and over and over. Like I, I, This is one of the ones where your friends who are, who are bookers who are telling you about this, uh, this is a book problem. And it is actually going to... It might actually be worse in part two. There are people who die off screen that as a... there's It's supposed to be a huge event. And, and as a reader, you literally never meet this person. You have no idea what they look like. And, and that, that's like... This is, a, this is a problem with the narrative. It, it's This is like the, the best thing in in service of this narrative is that this came out in the 60s so I can't just call it a Game of Thrones ripoff which is what I right, wanted to go. do the whole time because <laughs> yeah. like that's literally what it felt like watching this is like somebody was like oh Game of Thrones is so successful what if we just killed these like characters that have a name actor playing them and then oh wow that guy you know him you think he's gonna be in the next movie psych bitch he's gone and like I, I don't care so hey. uh, I tell you what Parker uh, yeah. Name an actor or actress other than Timothy Chalamet and tell me about their performance. Uh, not really performance, but uh, you know where Jason Momoa's beard go? What the fuck was that, you guys? That, yeah, I was, that, we talked about was this not, for an hour and a half. I was I'm not so prepared. Upset. As a bigger face gentleman, I was like, well, you know, representation isn't that important. You know? Wait, no, this is all wrong. I, I, I don't I, understand the source material. Clearly, you know, Jason Moana is. I can't believe I'm saying this probably my favorite part of the movie i had no idea he was gonna be this good i've hated him in almost everything else i've seen him in and in this movie i was like oh my god he he was secretly good this entire time how the hell did yeah. this happen uh have he we really it, nailed... parker should what? we make should we make chris watch braven oh braven fucking owns dude you want to do braven <laughs> next week <laughs> let's do braven <laughs> is there enough to talk about but also yes yes, yes yeah. absolutely well, we'll there is all right yeah uh, we, anyway, we, we, like, we're really meat and potatoes with those action movies like that like we will be okay fine. yeah okay. We, we usually pull something off there uh he really nails the character of duncan idaho who this is one of the reasons why i think this may be a controversial statement i think the movie's better than the book because duncan idaho is not in the book anywhere near as much as i would have liked and here he's like a major character i think they knew what they were getting it's kind of like, it kind of reminds me of like an NFL training camp. It's like that one rookie who's like really performing. It's like, whoa, hey, move that guy up the depth chart. That's what's going on with Jason Moana here is like, wow, this guy's actually really compelling. I really like this character. He really nails like this surrogate older brother figure for Timothy Chalamet. And as an example here, Timothy Chalamet's performance rises whenever he's on screen. They really play well together. Put them on the same line. You know, that, that sort of thing. And Duncan Idaho 
It's such a great fucking name. I'm sorry, I can't get fucking over it. Fucking Jackie Daytona <laughs> ass name, dude. Yeah, every, <laughs> everyone else's fucking names like Thufir Hawat and Gertie Hollick and Vladimir Harkonnen. And him, the toughest man in the universe, is named Duncan Idaho. <laughs> in the year 10191. I fucking love it. So, like, and this is another point where I'm going to disagree with you on. Because, like... Okay. I agree that his performance and this is great and like it was an interesting character but like it's you know it's extremely 1D like we never know anything else about this character and then he has this like quote unquote heroic death scene and it's like oh cool that guy that I only liked because it was fun when he was on screen now he's gone now there's going to be less fun on screen I, that, like, yeah, I guess I can understand. am I supposed to have a different reaction to that because it's a nothing character like uh, perhaps maybe uh, this, and maybe I'm coming from a book reader's perspective, but like, he's the liveliest performance in the movie. So whenever yeah, he, he was is. on the screen, I was very happy. You know, same. And, no, uh, no, we're on the same page I, there. Yeah, I just like, but I guess maybe this is where I differ from it a little bit. He's so different from everyone else that I start to infer a little bit about his character. This is something I didn't do when I was reading the book. Maybe I'm making up details, and maybe I'm carrying too much a load as a watcher. But as I'm watching this, I'm sort of saying like. I think I can tell his story from the way that everyone else talks to him, you know? So I think there's a lot more to that character than you do. I think I, that maybe that's where we're differing. And I think uh, so the, the alternative is five seasons of an HBO Max show oh, to yeah, get to this bad. movie. So Yeah, yeah no, and, and I get that. And, like, I'm not asking for more screen time for lore. Like, I don't... That's not what I want here. It's maybe it's, maybe maybe shift this stuff around so there's less like wide shot of the desert while someone in the background goes ah and more like some more yeah, Duncan Idaho. Yeah, I I, I, I could do with a lot less Halo music too. I, yeah. That's oh. that was that was impressive. But um, well, you know my jo stance. Joel just texted me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, actually, Parker, I want to ask you, how do you feel about Rebecca Ferguson in this one? I. She could slit my throat any fucking day of the week. Are you joking me? You I'll tell you this. The voice. Rebecca Ferguson as Lady Jessica is, I think, one of the better portrayals in this movie because she's a major player in the book as well. She ought to be. She's in most of the movie. She's got a really, really tough character to fill. It's very complex, and it's sort of tough to sort of ride the, uh, the line between, like, extremely overpowered and also cries because her son yelled at her. You know, it's, it's so weird. It's, it's a little it says, tough to do. It says do Dragonborn here in my notes. Uh, <laughs> from a show I haven't watched, so uh, luckily try I think again. I, Dragonborn? What is Dragonborn? What is that? Is so he the it, only person on Earth that hasn't played Skyrim? <laughs> I, I so. have not played Skyrim. That's correct. Yeah, uh, my sister likes it though. So uh, anyway, yeah, I, I liked Rebecca Ferguson a lot, but. I think one of the maybe a small problem with the movie is that she goes all badass on uh, on Stilgar at the end of the movie. We don't really know that she can do that until she does that. Like we see little moments from her with the hand signals, and that she has uh, some some sort of like psychic powers to an extent. That's basically what the Bene Gesserit is. But it's maybe not emphasized quite as much. But then again, it's, it doesn't do that in the book either. So the movie does a better job than it does in the book. Uh, uh, might as well talk about her now. Uh, let's actually get into Zendaya, uh, an actress for whom I, I thought uh, would be a great cast, uh, just because she's more or less how I imagined the character would look. But in this, she has almost nothing to do. Most of the time, she just sort of like stands while wearing a robe and it falls in front of her face. And I get it because Paul dreams about her a lot in the book before they meet. But... Uh, 
he dreams about other stuff too. <laughs> so I was kind of News hoping that they would uh, have other stuff. But also, when you cast Zendaya in a movie, you're you're casting her because you know a lot of people are going to see this just for Zendaya. And if that's it's kind of a problem when she's not really a big part of the first part of the book. Hey, uh, Parker, question for you. Yes, sir. How much would Chris hate Euphoria? Oh, man. A lot. Oh, did I watch that? I thought about it. Hey, uh, hey, hey, Parker, how many Dragon Balls do we have combined? (laughs) No. Uh, no. He doesn't have access to that file, right? I think we have seven. I have it somewhere. Hang on a second. Where is it? Looking at it. No, you have five combined. Just looked at it. Yeah, well, two weeks are, you know, about to hit the clock. What uh, if I steal them somehow? (laughs) What if, you know? Uh, another performance I'd like to talk about he's not in it much but I thought he did a really good job was Javier Bardem I really liked what he did mostly because uh, he he seemed like a a bit stronger character than uh, Oscar Isaac and uh, someone that I didn't bother talking about Josh Brolin yeah Yeah, what the fuck is that character oh he's he's actually way bigger in the book Uh, so that guy's definitely not dead right no, he's not. I don't care. He's, no, he's he's not dead. He's he's coming back. Uh, okay, I figured. But... They they sort of they sort of set that up later where uh, when they first meet Stilgar and Josh Brown goes, I don't like him. Well, they're they're yeah. gonna fight later on. All right. Well, in four yeah. years, I can't wait to find out. So yeah, I'm stoked. Anyway, uh, Javier Bardem's really good. Everyone laughed at the scene where he spat on the table, which in the book is played like really seriously, and in the movie they're like, that's kind of funny. So I, I like that they did that. They also added in some humor with Josh Brolin's character when I am smiling. And uh, maybe one other one I want to talk about. An, an actor that I don't think anyone could place just based on his name, Stephen McKinley Henderson. He plays Thufir Hawat, that, uh, that black guy who in one scene rolls his eyes up into his head. Uh, you guys have not read the book. What did you take away from that scene? Because I'm actually curious uh, what you guys as non-book readers would think about that. That's what I do when anyone asks me lore about some dog shit horror franchise. Oh, <laughs> uh, actually, it's a divergent timeline. Halloween two doesn't exist either. In my eyes, go back to normal. Uh, Alex, your thoughts? I actually also think about Parker doing that. So, no, oh, oh, that's what he, your eyes go like that. You're like Parker. This one time said that. <laughs> yeah, Parker mentioned Chris. Hey, is that Child's Play show about the original? And my eyes just roll up. <laughs> so, Parker, are the the little girls in Halloween four and five are they different people like in the canon? <laughs> Um, so, here's the thing. <laughs> Curtis War, which was released direct-to-DVD on July 26, 2007. <laughs> uh, Thufir Hawad is the name of that character, and he's a really big part of the book, and I think he's sort of downplayed in the movie, but I thought that one scene was a really good job at communicating he's like a human computer, and that's basically what they're trying to do. But uh, no one focused on that. I, I thought I was going to see a lot of people saying, yeah, what the fuck was up with the eye scene? No one's saying that. Everyone's just saying, dude, remember the scene where you had a parasol? Which, by the way, not in the book. I think that guy was just like, yeah, you know what? We'll add some to this character. Could you imagine if like his internal monologue was just like math equations coming out of the top of his head? I can think of a lot of directors <laughs> that would do that. And also it would have worked on me. Yeah. <laughs> just some number 21-ass <laughs> bullshit coming out. He's just writing numbers on the wall like the accountant. <laughs> Let's see. Fourth and three. What do we do here? <laughs> Uh, Alex, what did you think about the music? Extremely annoying, honestly. Oh, really? Oh, you like, didn't like the music? So I, I normally really like Hans Zimmer, and like I'm mm-hmm. good with like the loud score, but like I'm so over the uh, just the fucking like Gregorian chanting for two and a half hours. Like, 
Which I know I'm simplifying the score of this movie when I say that, but like it just this movie could have used some silence. I say this about I think I've said this about literally every one of his movies, but uh, you can give me some silence in here. Not everything has to be this. When, when you say his, do you do you mean Dennis Villeneuve or Dennis Dennis V? Who I'm not gonna. Oh, okay. you know, Hans Zimmer has one trick, and I respect his trick, and like good for him. Like I'm not knocking Hans Zimmer here when I say that, but like. I feel like every one of my good friend Dennis V's movies is just like just like an assault on my eardrums and it's like you can let this breathe man it's cool and and like maybe I would have felt more strongly about some of these you know more oh, excuse me some of these more subdued quiet performances if there wasn't just music blaring in my ears constantly like I I don't know. I, I think just, like, combined... Like, you, you... If you want me to, like, sit there and take time to think about what the characters are thinking and what they're seeing and how they're perceiving things, then give that to me. Don't give me, like, oh, boom, 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 constantly, which is what I got, so... Well, I'll I'll, uh, I'll take the opposite side on this one as well. Of course, I, 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 I know. The music. I, yeah, I think again, I, again, I knew but... that you and I would have a lot to talk right. about with this movie. Which right, is why yeah. it's, it's going to be most. Of the I episode, happen to but... like this one quite a bit, which I, which is weird because I don't consider myself a Hans Zimmer guy, but now that I go through most of the soundtracks, I'm like, oh wait, yes, I am. Yeah, uh, I, 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 I like his stuff. Yeah, I I do like uh, his soundtracks. I thought this one worked extremely well. Uh, I I think that it adds to Parker mentioned the word vibes. I think I'm a little too old to be using it, so just kind of has a weird mouthfeel for me. You and everyone else um, that like this movie, so yeah, uh, perhaps <laughs> I uh, I happen to uh, like I actually downloaded some of the score and not just the score, but also the extended edition, like some like some of the variations on the themes that extended to like uh, the length of most Pink Floyd songs, and uh, I like those too. I especially like the theme of the House of Trades, which has a bagpipe in it rather prominently, and uh, I can feel my Scottish ancestry wanting to creep out and yell a slur. Uh, I did think it was a little weird that they had an actual bagpipe in the movie, but oh, part that of was me dope. Also, I was in on that. Like, I yeah, I, I was like, it was weird, but also like, the, as soon as I saw it, I thought I was like, yeah, actually, that works. I like that. That that shit rules. I really you hope know? if our species lasts another eight thousand years, we're still using the dumbass instruments that we use today for like ceremonial yeah. bullshit. Like that'd be sick. Yeah. So I was telling you this much: yeah. it's better than the soundtrack for the firm. Uh, I if you listen to some of these ones, they the the soundtrack that I done, I think it was for they call it the Dune sketchbook. It's not for the art book that has its own score. This sounds really confusing. That is, I swear it's true. Okay. I swear it's true. Uh, you just vindicated all of my points by saying yeah, that I, that's, the that's, Dune right. sketchbook. Book has a soundtrack, but yeah, the Dune sketchbook is not the art book. That's the weirdest part of all of this. It's just, it's really just called the Dune sketchbook. It's like he was sketching out themes. It's just like, what if I just leave it the way that it is? Uh, so there could have been more of what you don't like, and I'm saying to listen to it. Uh, there's some really exciting stuff in that. Uh, it's it's both exciting and atmospheric is what I like so much about it. And this sounds like the appropriate score for this movie, which I, is weird to say because I, I know I already said that I really like the score for the 1984 version, which, by the way, I, I was telling my Korean friend about this movie. He's like, yeah, it's really good. You should go see it. And she was just like, oh, yeah, I've heard it's a really good remake. And I was just like, oh, <laughs> you don't got to call me nice. that. <laughs> nice. Fucking kills me there. Give her a high five uh, for me next time you're in Korea. That was, that was <laughs> I'll, I'll make sure to do uh parker uh sorry we've been talking again a lot it's uh it's okay i've been talking over you for 200 episodes it's fine <laughs> yeah go ahead 
what? <laughs> Did you say something? I, sorry, oh. I thought I, I, I wanted to. Uh, so it's like, actually, no. I, wait, there's a, there is maybe God. I can. We, damn it! Goodbye. <laughs> I thought I was gonna like lead you into something. Go ahead. Actually, sorry, you had some. I was gonna say like what confuses me most about liking this movie and Blade Runner twenty forty nine is like when I watch anything at home within five minutes, I'm fidgeting and I'm reaching for my phone because I cannot stop myself. Yeah, these movies, I'll just sit there for like four fucking hours. Like, yeah. Nothing's really happening, but I'm just kind of sitting here enjoying it. And I don't understand why that's the case. And uh, I, I, think I truly don't. Let me piggyback off that, because this is mm-hmm. the highest compliment that I can pay this movie. I walked into this theater knowing that this was two and a half hours about source material I did not know by a director that I do not like. And I thought about how long I've been sitting there, like, maybe once. Probably twice, I guess. But, uh, um, it, like... When the ending was coming up, it was the first time I thought, oh, this movie's about to end. And normally, when I have a movie that's 150 plus minutes about a bunch of shit I don't care about, there's a point, like, a, an hour 20 in where I'm like, oh, well, this is definitely about to end. And then I look I look at my phone or my watch or whatever and go, oh, fuck me. And that didn't happen here. Like, and that is a compliment to the pacing of this movie, which... To be clear, I think is too slow, but it is so evened out with the slowness that I don't really mind it. Yeah, uh, I, this is the weird one that for me to take the opposite position on because I was constantly thinking about how long I was sitting there. So uh, behind the scenes, you weren't here last week, but I mentioned that I was preparing for this movie being two and a half hours by watching some other two and a half hour movies in theaters, one of which was No Time to Die. It's about two and a half. Right. And I watched the extended edition of The Exorcist, which is 220. I'm like, okay, I got to be ready to sit through the whole thing. And I was fine for those two, but for this one, I think it was a seat I was sitting on. It was like bleacher seats, dude. It was killing my ass. The whole I was like readjusting constantly. My dad's like, "Are you? Yeah, put on some weights." And I was like, "What the fuck? It's killing me!" And as soon as I saw directed by Desville, I was like, "Oh, get some blood back in those cheeks." I uh, <laughs> I, I for me. once was the last one out of the theater today, and I know I was the last one at the theater because I stood up and I saw that the guy that was supposed to clean the theater was just like standing at the end of the row waiting for me and I was like yo my bad I didn't realize you were there <laughs> but uh, <laughs> um no I I uh similarly like a lot of the reason that I wanted to see this opening weekend was because I just sat through no time to die and was like after that I feel like I can stomach a 150 plus minute movie like because they're they are you're like you're right they're a struggle in general mm-hmm. this I did not feel like had uneven pacing. And uneven pacing is worse than slow pacing by a lot. Right. And yeah. I, I I had the same experience with 2049. The first time I saw it, and I saw it twice because the first time I was kind of drunk by the time I got to the theater, which meant I needed a pee break. But also, on my pee break, I apparently missed nothing that happened in, like, one line of dialogue. Which, Dennis V, my friends, that's what he does. But, um... <laughs> Uh, I remember your exact same review for Blade Runner 2049. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that's the same way I felt about Arrival, too. Like, I didn't see Arrival when it first came out. I saw it after it got nominated for all those awards, and they put it back in Cinemark for a little bit. And uh, I walked out, I was like, that was cool. It was really pretty. Uh, I don't know why everybody thinks it's the best movie they saw this year. But, uh, okay, sure. Well, so I guess what we can boil this down to in a pithy little behind-the-box thing is it's not so much the length of Dune, but it's the girth. 
Uh, Parker, mentioning Jodorowsky's Dune earlier on, I feel like I saw some inspiration in this movie from Jodorowsky's Dune. Did you see anything similar like that? I would think he'd have to, right? I mean, our good friend Dennis seems like a big enough nerd to probably have flipped through that giant fucking storybook at least once in his life. I'm sure he's gotten... He's been able to get to that house and look through it. Yeah, there are certain... Influenced so much sci-fi, even though it never got made. Yeah, that's the thing about it is like it didn't take the costuming because the costuming is a lot more, I guess, practical in this movie. Whereas they all look like Final Fantasy characters in that uh, in that big old I can't believe I'm using the word again sketchbook that uh, Yodorowsky has. But like the spaceships look actually somewhat similar, and some of the the planets seem to be drawn in sort of a similar fashion. And uh, they're even I mean I guess this is about as subtle as you could possibly get but they did use a Pink Floyd song in one of the trailers which is one of my all-time favorite covers of a Pink Floyd song uh, and they were going to use Pink Floyd for one of the planet's themes in Yodorowsky's Doom but that thing was also going to run for what like eight hours or something and the students were gratefully like no we're not going to do that also the scene that no one talks about in that apparently uh, Yodorowsky's Doom was going to have someone shit in a bottle for like some reason it's like I'll tell you that doesn't happen in the book <laughs> uh, anyway I I think perhaps we can come to a close I, the, the last thing I'd like to talk about here with Dune is uh, the audience reception at large which ordinarily I wouldn't care too much about but this is going to affect whether we get Dune Part 2 which Part 1 is in desperate need of. This is going to be one of the ones where I hope that maybe the Alamo will do some sort of specialty showing where they'll show Dune Part 1 and then they'll lead right into Dune Part 2 because Dune Part 1, as, as great as it is, as much as I loved it, as much as I love the cinematography and the music and the acting and the writing and just about everything else about it, it feels like a twin that desperately needs its other twin here and it desperately needs that Part 2 to complete the narrative. Uh, otherwise, it it kind of feels like it sort of stopped short of where it ought to be. Uh, so most people that I've seen reacting to this have said, uh, for those part, yeah, man, that was pretty sick. Either that or, why is it only part one? Now, the more I think about it, I really can't believe they didn't just film both parts. It's I think it's such it's a, a pain in the ass. It's a WB thing. Yeah, I think, uh, I don't know if they're going to recast anyone, but there are other people you have to have in here. You have to cast uh, Fade Rautha, which was the Sting character in this one. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> that fucking wait, thing. Jesus. Wait, 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 which Sting? See, yes. that's the that's the question. <laughs> Wouldn't you like to know? <laughs> so so I'll tell you about the character. The character's name is Fade Rautha, and he kind of, in, in the book, he's very young, kind of like Paul, and he's like the, he's the nephew of uh, the Baron Harkonnen, and he kills people for fun. He's a real bitch. And uh, he's like the last villain that uh, Paul must dispatch. And I heard a rumor that they were going to cast Justin Bieber to play him, and Hell yeah, it's dude. kind of astonishing how there. plausible that is. Here's a better one. I got it. You get both Jake and Logan Paul, and you switch hit him like Mary Kate and Ashley Olsen. We'll end this on yeah. a positive note. In okay. which the only way I would ever in my life get into helicopters if the building I was in was on fire. But I would pay any amount of money to ride in the Dragonfly <laughs> copter right this second. I'm I would give call it, all of my possessions away. Please call it by the correct name that they don't use in the book for some reason. It's called the Hornetroid. God, that's such a good <laughs> shitty name. Yeah, that's great. Oh my God, I love that. <laughs> we have to call it that because in the book they call it the Ornithopter. I'm like, I feel like that's, that's a, a Magic, magic the card. Gathering card. That's a Magic card. Yeah. No. Yeah, no, I knew it. And we'll just parrot what everyone else has already said, and we'll always say, if you're gonna see it, 
go see it. Yeah. Because yeah. uh, we showed up, like, as it was starting. Because, you know, women. They do be as like it, that. As hey. it Whoa, okay, y'all suck <laughs> So, it, you know, as the opening narration <laughs> is explaining everything, we're putting our, <laughs> we're getting our order together. <laughs> so I'm like, all right, that seemed important. So I get home, I'm like, oh, yeah, it's on HBO. I can just watch this two minutes I missed. And as soon Ooh. as I hit play, I'm like, it's not even close. Not right. even close yeah. to the same yeah. thing. Like, yeah. If you're gonna do it, just do it. Even if you end up hating it, just fucking treat yeah. yourself. I'm glad. That, I, I'm so glad that shit blew my eardrums out. Like I like, even complaints aside about you know not really liking how the score was just like, I, like honestly, the thing that I think of in comparison is like imagine if there were music over the Italian Spider-Man GIF. Like, <laughs> like, like that gift says it all without any yeah. music necessary, and just like yeah, if you just had like a Skrillex song blaring over Italian Spider-Man, go like, oh, oh, then like that, just, it just kills it. And but yeah. anyway, uh, even I, even all that aside, like, really glad that I got to see this in a theater. Like, I I will say that is one of the criticisms I did hear about this that I would not echo, but I'll at least, you know, signal boost it, is people saying that at times it seemed like the background noises and also the songs were uh, much louder than the dialogue. I think that only happened at certain moments, one of which was uh, pretty obviously when Duncan Idaho gets off the Hornetroid. It goes up to them, and you can't really hear what Timothy Chalamet is saying to him, but you also don't need to know. You can kind of infer what's going on, and that's sort of setting the scene. It's like, hey, those wings are really, really loud. It's part of the immersion. It's if you feel like you're actually on Arrakis, uh, which is why I didn't drink any water while watching this movie. One of the things I really want to get out about this is, Parker, as I've always said, uh, you know, what I'm looking for, what I'm not looking for in sci-fi movies, this is it. This is what I'm looking for, a movie that is about something. Dune is about has several themes. It is about several things. This is the one I want to contrast with Star Wars. I'm not trying to like attack you specifically. Yes, but you are. It's more so that uh, I, I want to see like this is what science fiction could and ought to be because Star Wars is just good versus evil. It's not really about anything. I would hope that maybe Dune could perhaps reach a fraction of the popularity of Star Wars, but I'm also kind of wary of that, because then you get Dune toys, and that's like kind of taken some of the fun and some of the message out of Dune, and I was kind of wondering if uh, you saw it in any sort of similar fashion. Uh, I want to see Dune 2 way more than I want to see any Star Wars project coming out. And also, I don't want Star Wars fans liking anything that I like. Oh, that's a good point. Oh, shit, yeah. <laughs> Please keep them away. Keep them... F- hey, that Boba Fett show's coming, guys, right? You guys should watch that instead. Yeah. See, Please that's, let me have this. I mean, one of the things about Dune being about something is it's very subtle in, in, its, uh, in its themes. One of the... The themes, for example, that's very subtle about is the ecology of Dune, and it's that's sort of how the book started. Is Frank Herbert was supposed to write a newspaper article about sand dunes, I think in Oregon, and he never wrote the thing. But he was like, "Oh, I could turn this into a sci-fi book instead." And the newspaper was like, "Uh, what the hell?" So instead, he made the best-selling science fiction they novel of time. Been. Yeah, gonna <laughs> <laughs> make a six hundred page book about a boy named Paul, and he's God. Like, hey, Chris, the podcast so is about magnets. Sorry, what was that? What was that, Alex? Chris, the podcast is about magnets this week. <laughs> you see, right. magnets uh, were discovered by Aristotle. Uh, so, uh, I, I guess my my closing thoughts on Dune, if we're doing that, um, I know this is you know cross genre comparison. Wow, whoa! But uh, um, 
I kind of have the same feelings towards this that I had towards it chapter one where it's like man if they stick the landing this movie's gonna own oh but, yeah, uh, right. if if they don't i'm never gonna think about it again and like i'm definitely gonna see the next one so like even with all of the bad things i had to say about this movie like yeah i i'm in for the next one even if slash especially if it has a different director but um, i say like, could you imagine yeah. if they got a different director? <laughs> oh my god give me colin trevorrow's dune part two Oh, oh, come on, guys. Let's <laughs> have a good time. You just imagine it, it's just like two hours of like boring plot and like five minutes of a sandworm devouring somebody in like graphic detail. Like, <laughs> oh my god, that's the same sandworm. Oh my god, you can tell. Yeah. <laughs> He's got the same I know him. I know him. <laughs> my little group, no one in there knew anything about Dune. We all just went in and was like, well. There's a new movie out. I've got all these gift cards. Like, it's going to be pretty. It's probably going to be loud and bassy. Like, we should go. We all have the day off together. And all of us left like, gosh, should we read Dune? <laughs> Which is more of a glowing review than I can give anything. For me to leave a movie like this and go, damn, I should read this 600-page book about it. Uh, I'll, I'll warn you on this one. I will not, though. D- Dune, no. Dune's kind of a tough read. And if anyone is out there who's listening to this and is a huge fan of Dune and has read all the books back, but it's like, it's really not that hard. What, are you stupid or something? One, yes. And two, Incredibly. like, everyone knows Dune is a tough read. You Don't lie to us and say, like, it was really easy. It has its own glossary in the back. It has three appendices, all of which are necessary to getting the full experience of Dune. One of the best parts of Dune is its third appendix. Uh... Like it's it's a tough read. It like it takes twice as long. Sorry, <clears throat> it takes twice as long to read as any other book because you really have to reread every single sentence and like sort of place into its own context. And there's so little description of some important things that you sort of have to build it in your own head and sort of keep it running there the entire time. That being said, I think it's a very good book. I like that book quite a bit, but I wouldn't go so far as to call myself a Dune fan. But uh. I like every single movie about it that's come out, and I like the book as well, so hey, maybe I am, and maybe I'll read Dune Messiah, and maybe the tides will turn back. Alright, uh, let's, uh, let's talk about Pumpkinhead with Lance Henriksen. Hell yeah, Finally, dude. My chance to talk. <laughs> yeah. So this movie starts off, and I'm like, Pumpkinhead, alright, this should be good, Alex, it was good. Directed by Stan Winston, I'm like, hmm? <laughs> Starring Lance Henriksen, and I just, like, stand up out of my chair, I'm just like, oh... Jeffrey Jones, Jeffrey Jones, Jeffrey Jones. He's not in this. So, so close, man. Damn, three out of ten. Uh, <laughs> I have to admit that uh, I I didn't know much about this going in besides the fact that Alex said it was good. So And I tend to trust his opinions on most things. So I'm like, okay, let's see what this is all about. I do know that it's a bit of a cult classic, but I didn't know why it was a cult classic. And with horror movies, cult classics can really run the game of quality. Uh, <laughs> this, yeah. one, this one starts with a beginning that sort of reminds me of... Uh, either The Village or Hocus Pocus, maybe a cross between the two. (laughs) (laughs) Those two movies we all like so much. Um... It's uh, there's Please this... don't turn the episode off. It's actually <laughs> good, I promise. This uh, it begins with this little boy in this uh, log cabin back in 1957, and there's some creature out there, and he's locked in there. We can't go out and help this man who wants to get in because the creature's going to get him. So it's uh, like 75% of all horror movies ever made. And uh, then it cuts to present day, which is only 31 years later. You have to keep in mind it's 1988. And it uh, looks like that little boy has grown up to be Lance Henriksen, which is... Uh, yeah, happens to the best you know, of us. Could have ended up worse, I guess. <laughs> Tough gig. 
I, the rough I, beat kids. I, I gotta tell you, Henriksen does a pretty good job of this movie. I actually, I actually like him quite a bit. Uh, we don't see much of that monster that kills people, though. We only see like a brief glimpse of him in silhouette, which I wrote down here. Uh, so Pumpkinhead, which I have to admit, I not knowing anything about this movie, when I imagine that your monster is named Pumpkinhead, that it will have a pumpkin for a head and not look like a xenomorph instead. Yeah, you'd think so, wouldn't you? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I could be wrong. Well, our 651st movie starring Lance Henriksen continues. He's working at some no-name bump in the road where he sells his potatoes on the side of the road. Uh, no telephone shoes. Just, no, as a general rule of thumb, if your movie has a general store, I am much more interested in watching it. Yeah. Uh, this Good things happen is... in and around general stores in general. This next joke is uh, just for Parker and the other Alex and every member of my immediate family who does not listen to this podcast anyway. It seems as though the same group of teenagers from Hobgoblins comes in. <laughs> Honest to God, dude. They might as well be. And I, as they're getting out there, they're, they're riding here. They have a bunch of dirt bikes in the back of this pickup truck. And uh, what? whoever's driving the sports car is the, the closest I have come to, like, the buzzing the tower scene where he pulls up in front of them. <laughs> And they stop in front of this general store for reasons I don't even recall. I, I think they were just like, I want to take a picture of this place. It's so creepy. I was like, wait, wait, wait. That's how, how, that's how House of 1000 Corpses started. And uh, saying it. <laughs> oh, I finally cracked him. Uh, anyway, they get out there and they see this little kid. He's the son of Lance Henriksen. His name is Billy. And he wears glasses. And there's this one guy wearing a leather coat in the dead of summer in this <laughs> desert town. And he's got a, like a pompadour greaser sort of thing going on. He looks like, hey, what's with the kid's glasses? They look like Coke bottles. And Present. the room, if they were in a room, it goes silent. One girl's just like, oh, Denny. And he's like, what? I was just saying, we heard. So I guess like calling kids like glasses, coke bottles is like a slur or something. Yeah, I, I, I feel like this guy desperately wanted to call this kid a retard and couldn't. Like maybe that's the scene that they cut and they were like, yeah. oh, they're like coke bottles. These city kids coming in and just teasing this eight-year-old for his stupid glasses is such a good. They thing. Are hey, why don't you just see they're... better? <laughs> they're mortified that this kid has thick glasses. It fucking owns, because it's like, yeah, nobody in the city has vision problems. You know, in this place with 1,000 times the population density. It's just this so, one kid that lives out in the fucking sticks. The only one that can get the thick glasses. Hey, dipshit, how about you go buy some contact lenses? Got so him. anyway, <laughs> so anyway, they're like, well, there's really not much to do here. They don't have a phone and they don't have beer. So let's pull off our dirt bikes and go dirt biking. And they go dirt biking. Meanwhile, a family Look. of inbreds comes in wearing potato sack clothes. Let me just say this. As somebody that has my electric scooter in the trunk of my car at all times, it is exactly like that. I'll just pull up to the grocery store be like, I don't feel like going in yet. And do some donuts. So, uh, oh, wait, yeah. Small way to go see the Falk monster. Let me just pop a wheelie real quick. <laughs> uh, you know, not to quote Napoleon Dynamite, but do any sweet jumps on it? Absolutely. Dude, uh, so Chris, you have driven to my house exactly once. So therefore, yes. you know about the speed bumps in my development. Oh my god, that's actually what I was thinking. Holy shit. Sinister, yeah. We must be on the same cycle. Yeah, I, All right, I so. off those, yeah. <laughs> 
Yes. Uh, yeah, that's, does it also make that sound like... Because, like, that's I, like once you pull up there and you start, like, griefing one of the funerals. I wish it was gas-powered and not electric, but, uh, unfortunately, the oh, government will not allow me to roll coal on a scooter. One of, so. your, one of your hippie bullshit. <laughs> you got one of the Elon Musk scooters. That's so fucking lame. All right, well, anyway, we got the uh, the inbred family. It kind of looks like the, the Sneed's feed and seed formerly Chuck's family comes in where they're wearing the potato sack clothes. And uh, they just start, like, pushing one of their brothers around saying, Pumpkinhead's gonna get you. He's gonna chop off your head and pull out your guts and shove a finger down your throat. And he's like, no, he's not. And uh, one of the city girls just shrieks at him, stop it. I'm like, what the fuck am I looking at? Meanwhile, in the background, everyone's doing sweet jumps on their dirt bikes. I'm like, okay, let's push the camera over here, Stan. And uh, they're doing all these sweet jumps. The kid has to chase his uh, his dog. I don't remember what the dog's name was. Was it was the dog's name Gypsy or something? I think That's I had a cat named Gypsy or something. I don't, I don't know. Anyway, watching like, oh damn, the dogs are gonna die. That's gonna be sad. Like, I don't mean to comment on this, but like, Parker, you're a dog owner. It's like, there's such a shitty name for that dog. You know, yes. was it like a it golden retriever? And then it's like, what the fuck would you call the Gypsy? This is stupid. I hope that kid dies. Lassie, you coward. And then <laughs> uh, one of the guys does a sweet jump, and he doesn't see what's uh, behind, in front, or to the side of him, and lands right in front of that kid. The kid's like. Whoa, you know, kind of. I think he looks like the kid from Jerry Maguire. And then the greaser goes, yeah. And then the greaser goes, ah! And the kid gets a dirt bike right to the shops. Uh, I did not know that's how the kid died. Man, that kid was asking for it, but incredible kill. He's getting the best obituary. (laughs) Yeah, correct. That kid loves pineapple on his pizza. He is a fucking walking. Hey, 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 hey. It says here in my notes, Dunn fucking sucks at driving. Anyway, continuing. <laughs> it, is, it is fucking astonishing that Preston Lacey hasn't died by, like, Johnny Knoxville trying to <laughs> land a dirt bike on his body. He would need a bigger dirt bike. Yeah, and did they make it dirt bike with six wheels? Okay, okay, what if Bam Margera... Okay, so what if Johnny Knoxville landed the Mako from Mass Effect on Preston? What if... <laughs> What if it was Phil instead? Okay, so anyway... Uh, so yeah. we're not thinking about Wee Man riding a little toy ATV onto Preston Lacey, who's painted like a street. No, that's okay. different. That's what? different. So anyway. so anyway, the kids are just like, uh, hit and run, Chinese hard drill, let's go! And they just pack up and leave. They're just like, yeah, leave the body there. Don't let anyone know, or else I might get in trouble for killing a child. <laughs> except, and just like, except for they're just Steve. Like, yeah, this, right. this is Except classic Steve, Steve behavior, by the way. Yeah, if you've ever known somebody named Steve, this is how they all are. Like, unbelievable, incredible Steve. naming of this character. Like, this character yeah. literally has to be named Steve. There's no other. Come name on the show, Steve. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> uh, they all drive away. They're gone, and Lance Harrison comes out. And is like, "Where's my dog?" And the dog comes up to him, like, "Where's my son?" And he can't find his son. And Steve's like, Normally "So." Funny story. You ever played BMX Triple X? Dave Mira didn't want to be in it, but Matt Hoffman didn't want to be in it either. All right, Dave like, Mira. Yeah, so he picked up. He picks up his son, and he's walking away with his dead son in his arms. It's so sad. The guy's like, "You want me to help?" And the look that Lance Hendrickson <laughs> gives him when he turns around. Oh my goodness! Like they make the joke like if looks could if looks could kill like. Oh, that's why he got Lance Hendrickson for this movie. <laughs> See, you know, it's because he sees Lance Hendrickson pull up and he just doesn't say anything. He just stays crouching over the dead kid. 
Yeah. Lance goes inside, like, where's my kid at? And it comes outside. <laughs> and then the guy flags him over like a coach, like a player taking himself out of the game. Like, hey, you can see this, man. You can say Ben <laughs> hey, Simmons. Yeah, yeah, I know you saw me see you. Here's your kid. <laughs> I really liked how you sounded like Larry the Cable Guy in Cards when you did that Lance Henriksen impression. <laughs> Thank you. Toe Mater, do you get it? So the movie ends. <laughs> no, uh, the the guys. Uh, sorry, the guys. The gang, the mystery squad. They decide to hold themselves up in this like log cabin that I guess they just find. And uh, the greaser. Who, I, I feel like this was written by Stephen King. I feel like this is a secret Stephen King movie, and he's just never revealed it. He's like, ah, no one asked. Uh, the main villain here is well, besides the monster, is this greaser guy, clearly from the 1950s, who kills an innocent child and, the, and then proceeds to just, like, torment everyone else around him. It's like, this is the most Stephen King shit I've ever seen in my life. Just the fact that this guy is like, yeah, I can't report killing this child because I have previously also killed a child on my dirt bike. Like, great scene. <laughs> Absolutely incredible. I can't believe it happened again. And his friends aren't. He's just like... <laughs> Oh yeah, no, that's just Jimmy. Yeah, he's really into it. Actually, you know, to be fair, this kind of makes me think about stuff from like some like often like children's media from like the late '80s, early '90s, like when we were growing up. Why was there always like a greaser friend? There's always like that one kid with like the pompadour hairdo and the the black leather jacket. It's like I don't know any of my friends who ride motorcycles. Like, I mean, I why was the is greasy this friend, not the greaser? Chris, friend. you lived in a okay. town with 300 people. Exactly. There was exactly one motorcycle in there, and a uh, cop drove it. Well, that explains it, dude. Yeah. <laughs> you weren't going to be friends with the cop? Did you yeah. not have a strange enough shaped head that they needed to jam you through windows to steal things? <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> We're going to that show, actually. <laughs> so anyway, uh, in this town of Radiator Springs, which... Uh, Again, more. <laughs> it's, it's, it's still <laughs> again more stoplights than in Poolsville, but somehow less racism. And uh, they're going through, and uh, Lance Henderson is driving with his son's corpse in his car, which, uh, boy, that's gonna smell. That's and he goes cute. up, to, he goes up to one of the houses from Deliverance, and he's like, "Where's your pa?" And they're just like, He's the scariest fucking person I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, I know. He's a monster. I don't know about Pumpkinhead. He's in this fucking thing. He was like, all right, go get Grandpa. And Grandpa comes out, and he's like maybe three years older than his son in this movie, which uh, tracks. That's how it works. (laughs) Yeah, I know. He gets out there. He's like, all right. Here we're picking the banjo. We want to get the driver, brothers. And he's like, I want to know where that old lady lives. I'm like, I I like that idea. That really does remind me of Pulse. It's like, you know where the old lady lives you know the one (laughs) so anyways he goes to visit the Benny Gesserit to find out how to get revenge I did like that you said that Benny Gesserit was the guy from the mummy (laughs) I just thought you'd like that that was really fucking good put Uh, your hand in the box (laughs) that's for you my dad made an obscene joke about that. So I anyway, bet he did. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, he's like, eh, I don't know where she lives. What is the poor's like? I know where that lady lives. <clears throat> and the guy's like, Tell me where she goes, son. He's like, I don't want to take you there. I'm scared. You're gonna get in the back of my truck. And the kid's like, Okay, I know. This is a shiny like, quarter to take him to the witch's house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a nice brand new nickel for you. Oh boy, I'm gonna buy so many jawbreakers with this. <laughs> to be fair, to be fair, it's one. 
one of those old-fashioned 10 spots. You know, those things are worth money these days. No, they're not. It really so is an Edda Nettiaski. Dude, I just came up with the greatest scam, you guys. Lead her up to Haggis. We'll steal all her jawbreakers while she's reviving Pumpkinhead. Haggis, Maled. Oh, my God. Was that voice even close? Fucking biked into plank. Oh my god, we have to get him some help. (laughs) Dude, you better look out. You have heard the legend of Haggis. Have you not? He he fucked up. Eddie's brother's coming in once he talks to the witch. He's gonna fuck all these kids up. Pumpkins have many holes, Ed boy. <laughs> so uh, we cut back to the dorks, and they're <laughs> some of them are locked in like a closet or whatever. And uh, I think one of the girls says, "If we ever get out of this alive, I'm gonna cut his balls off." And the one guy's like, "Remind me not to piss you off." I'm just like, "What about that guy who like locked you in a closet and killed two kids?" Just watch your friend murder a child. Yeah, what are you getting on her case about this? You think she's going too far? No, oh my god! Time for banter. So one thing that exactly. I've learned from all of these, like you know, eighties and nineties horror movies, is that kids in these movies desperately need the Caldor rule because, like, the Caldor rule would cover so many things for them. <laughs> if we ever got here, okay, do it. Yeah, do it. Or if we ever get a yeah. chance to explain what the Caldor rule is. Okay, so I don't uh, have to. Obviously, Pumpkinhead is the main villain here. Lance Hendrickson, a strong second. But also, you know, rounding out the bronze here for the podium is... Sorry, that's a reference to cars. Is Haggis the old one? <laughs> this is why we... Dead Heat Boy be like... <laughs> save the Cars episode. For, this is what we're going to do. We're going to save the Cars part of this podcast for the Patreon so people have to subscribe in order to get all the references. <laughs> Who's Mater? What are you talking about? Oh, is that what they decided to do with Dune? Because that would make a lot more sense. Oh, yeah. My only other cut joke for that was like, boy, you know, Warner Brothers should really just make desert movies from now on. What if they remade Razorback? So back Could you to... you imagine Larry the Cable Guy trying to say Gom Jabbar? <laughs> <laughs> Gom Jabbar. He would have been three different nationalities. <laughs> it turns into a 15-minute routine that is very offensive. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So uh, I have to admit, the, the makeup on Haggis, the old woman, is great. And I guess that's a, that's a Stan Winston thing. Like he's, he, I'm pretty sure he's well-known for like his special effects, right? Uh, yeah, a little bit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so uh, that's. Uh, Can we talk about the house she lives in and how fucking cool it looks? Yeah. And how mm, everything is lit bright. Yeah, but there's like reason. no Nintendo there, so why would you live there? That's fair. Yeah. Can't get those for a nickel. Yeah. But maybe a silver dollar. You can if you're in the. Uh, she's got a voice that kind of. Her voice kind of reminds <laughs> me of Mr. Krabs, you know? <laughs> Dig up your kid in the pumpkin patch. <laughs> Mr. Squidward. <laughs> so, so she, I, I do kind of like that she's just sort of sitting there in her rocker like all day, and she has approximately twenty thousand one hundred ninety-three candles that are lit around her house, uh, and she's just waiting for someone to come in there and ask, "What do I gotta do to get my vengeance?" And she's <laughs> like, "There's nothing I can do for him." Dude, could you imagine being, like, 75 and, you know, like, not having, like, any other family members and just being like, I'm gonna move to, like, rural Kentucky and tell people that I'm a witch and, like, see what happens? Like, that would be so sick. 
Just like just in, posting all day, <laughs> waiting for someone to come up, yeah. holding their dead kid. <laughs> I want vengeance. Like, you, all right. you go to Michael's more than you go to McDonald's. <laughs> and uh, uh, yeah. we'll have to do it later. Dune two finally came out. I need four hours, <laughs> then I'll take care of your dead kid. And she's just there shaking animal guts and saying, "Oh well, the gods say something different about yourself." Tells like there's many perpetrators for this crime. And she's just sitting there, just like this the entire time. She's got like the perfect, like the ideal role for Bill Murray. He doesn't even have to stand up. And uh, <laughs> and she's just sitting there, like you go on to the pet cemetery. I mean, pumpkin patch. You'll find what you're looking for there. Bring a shovel. So this just turns into a Zelda game. He just has to dig up the right grave, I guess. And uh, he finds something. And brings it over to her house, and she's like, that'll do, babe, that'll do. And puts it down, and I guess the son's body is just rotting there. So again, the smell must be unconscionable. And uh, she does some voodoo or something like that, and Pumpkinhead comes to life. Oh my god, dude. Dude. Five stars. <laughs> dude, the yeah. way that this fucking looks. This is, every once in a while, I, I, who's, the, who's the guy who did, um, what was that fucking movie? Uh, uh, Witchmaster. Do you remember who did Witchmaster? Was that, uh... When when Rick Baker it, was it? It's probably either him or Stan Winston. Let's see. I forgot. Well, whoever did that, it's one of the things I was trying to get to here is that like every once in a while you'll have like a crew member who's like really well known for doing like a certain part of like the crew task, like maybe a cinematographer. I think that's how Dennis Villanueva started. Is he was a he was like a cinematographer. Then it's like okay, we'll make this guy direct movies, and it worked out mostly well. Hmm except for Alex and uh, you get other people to do it sometimes editors sometimes writers sometimes actors let's give some credit to the special effects people sometimes the special effects people are like no 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 no, no. we're gonna do it like this and for the birth and pretty much everything for the monster in Pumpkinhead I guess they call it Pumpkinhead uh, it looks really good like I, I don't even have a chance to say oh it looks so cheesy oh practical effects I like practical effects. I like the way that this... I I, I think this is good. I, I, I like the way that it looks. And I, I'll put it to you like this. The way that we first see it without just like the silhouette is when we first see the hand come in from like the bottom of the screen. It just kind of looks like that. It's got like the long nails. It's got like the tissue thin like skin and everything. I love that. It looks great. And it's like from that one scene, I can infer how the rest of that body probably looks. And I, I thought that was one of the best scenes in the entire movie. I, I'm the guy off screen just yelling, make it wetter. Yeah, make it gooey. All right, now screech again. Dude, I hear That's that all the time. Work. And whenever she, I, uh, so the next scene is there, nice. they're, they're outside the, the uh, uh, cabin and they're just like, uh, oh yeah, there, there's something out there. So apparently if you just need vengeance, I kind of thought that Pumpkinhead would, would be like one of these eternal things that's just out there in the woods. No, it's only out there in the woods if you want it to be out there. And I kind of like this concept because it's one of the reasons that I like Twitter. I like the limiting aspect. You got 140 characters, now 280, and you got to make your point in that. And that kind of adds the fun. It's like you have a, a few rules to work with, and from there is where you get... Um, more ideas, more stuff that you can play off of. They say brevity is the soul of wit. He said about Pumpkinhead directed by Stan Winston. An hour two of this episode. <laughs> <laughs> After you spent how long praising a 160 minute movie? 
That's different. They didn't talk much of it. So anyway, uh, I know that's because because when they go, oh, that doesn't count as words. So uh, unfortunately, the music isn't quite similar in this one. I think maybe my my biggest criticism of uh, Pumpkinhead is the music because it sounds very direct to video for the score. Oh, this <laughs> is the one say. you don't like the music in. Okay. Yeah, you know yeah, what? Imagine I, the I, Alex screaming in this movie. <laughs> Dude, I fucking shit. wish. <laughs> anyway, yeah, I, Alex, I think everyone knows you and I have very, very different tastes in music. But uh, that being said, actually kind of brings me to, like, ironically enough, kind of one of my praises of this movie is I think I know why audiences like this, why it's become a bit of a cult hit, and that's because... It feels like it's a very, very small production. I didn't look up the budget for this, but I would be surprised if it was under, if it was over $3,000. If it was more than that, I'd be a little bit surprised. It feels like a very small team. Yeah. Really? Yeah. This is like $4 million for this. Yeah. Oh, well, that's close enough. Anyway, it's like it's a small team. It's like not particularly well-known actors outside of Lance Henriksen. And yet, for as small as this team is, you can tell that they had a lot of fun making this. Like, they're really working hard. It's like, for a a movie that no one really expected to be any good, it's better than the vast majority of horror movies. And part of it is maybe when it came out, this feels very 1980s-ish in a good way. And most of it has, like, subtleties that most horror movies don't have. It has a a villain that's really fun to look at. It's got sort of uh, well-characterized people in it. I had a good time with this one. I mean, a good monster is half the battle with cheap horror movies. You can get away with some schlocky, boring shit if the monster looks cool. And, uh, my god. The fact that it's a full body suit really does a lot. It's really good. Yeah. You can kind of tell it feels very Stan Winston initiative that he was like, let's really try to make this work the way that it ought to. He doesn't feel constrained by the studio, the director, the writer. He's just like, this is how it ought to look. So he kind of lets his studio and like all those guys who work in the workshop behind the scenes who smell kind of weird just do what they do best. And the result is something that's a, a whole lot of fun. Uh, some of the kills are pretty fun too because they don't necessarily need to be gory, but they can be, but in, in a way that's not expected. So it's like contrast this <laughs> with the Friday the 13th series. Dude. All right, I, I'm going somewhere with this. I'm going somewhere with this, please. So the like the Friday the Thirteenth series, uh, even in the first movie, extremely gory, all the knife kills and all that other shit. And it's like you see all the viscera and everything, and the impact and everything, and you know that yeah, they worked hard in the effect, but it's just it's not even that it was too much. It's just it's just like well, it doesn't really have much of an effect on me because now it's getting too clinical. In this one, someone's killed, and you could see all the blood and the other one is like I think the second kill the maybe the third kill in the movie someone dies from fall damage dude that's what I was gonna say like that <laughs> girl you. getting yeeted is one of the funniest parts of this movie <laughs> I fucking love that kill incredibly dude incredibly good <laughs> because you know that's different kills, sorry. sorry go ahead there's multiple kills that are my five foot nine girlfriend with her five foot six boyfriend just <laughs> lifting them eight feet off the ground and ripping their arms. <laughs> it fucking owns because, like, I know I've made this point before. I don't know if it's happened on the podcast or not, but like, one of my favorite things about Pepe the Frog is that I can't tell if he's like five foot five or one foot five because it just falls somewhere in that range. <laughs> Whereas, like, Pumpkinhead is the opposite of that. Like, Pumpkinhead is either like six foot tall or sixteen foot tall, depending on the scene. I, I, and it fucking. I'm sorry, rolls. I. 
Absolutely did not see that comparison yeah. coming. Now I it know how you guys. Though. Now I know how you guys. I know it does make sense. It does make sense. It's just now I know how you guys feel when I reference the Flintstones movie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> hurts, don't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, it doesn't because we've all seen it also, multiple times. Right. So with, yeah. And Viva at Rock yeah. Vegas. So why even? Yeah, bring that would not even be a future too. Same. So anyway, also. <laughs> uh, here's something that separates this movie from most other horror movies. The guy who created all this mess, uh, Lance Henriksen, well, didn't create this movie, but like went to the old witch who revived the Kandarian demon from the pumpkin patch. He experiences a very human emotion, regret. And... Uh, this is a tricky one to play because in the process of storytelling, you almost never see this. You have to go full bore on this one because it just seems like that's the way that you tell the sort of story. But, like, a lot of people don't understand what it takes to kill a man and what it feels like when you do and when you're responsible for that sort of thing. A lot of people don't understand. You probably feel really bad when that happens. And a lot of people, I think, they become desensitized to murder when they watch a lot of... Uh, uh, movies and TV shows that feature or, or play video games that feature this sort of thing. They think it's just you're dropping bodies. It's like, no, you have some sort of connection to this. And Lance Henriksen in this movie experiences that. And so he handles it in a very human way by picking up a double barrel shotgun and saying, I'm going to kill Pumpkinhead. <laughs> but he just goes back to the old lady. He's like, how do I undo this? He talks like fucking <laughs> Ernest for half the movie. He's so good. Lance God damn you. She's like, he already has. And it just cuts to more kids getting killed. Greatest movie of all time. See, that's... I actually really... I kind of have a love-hate relationship with that scene where he says, God damn you. And she says, he already has. I'm like, wow, that's a great line. And then she repeats it. I'm like, oh. <laughs> oh, it's because it's, his delivery is 20 times worse than every other scene in the movie. I don't know what happened, but he is really going for the best. Yeah, he's really just... I'm just like, tickled that to... people are saying things in this movie. I I have a feeling that's, that, that's people fair. People are having fair, thoughts yeah. and expressing them. Yeah, people are expressing their thoughts rather than just staring out the window while expressing their thoughts. <laughs> but <laughs> counterpoint, Lance Henderson staring angrily would also be captivating. Yeah. Oh, he's yeah. Terrifying. That's that's one of those scenes where he's sort of like, oh, that communicated everything you need to say without words. Although, then they go on to explain that scene. It's like, he looked at me. Don't fucking lie to me. He looked at me like he wanted to kill me. It's like, okay, no, we get it. are you working for, Scarecrow? (laughs) (laughs) I gotta tell you, like, Parker, I didn't rent this on VHS, but I feel like maybe I should have when I was a kid and then would have regretted it because this feels like this is a movie that maybe you could get away with renting as a kid. It's probably rated R for, like, the violence and shit. But, like, this feels like... This is one of those movies that, like, the like the cooler six-year-old surrendered when they were kids, and they watched it, and it scared the shit out of them. Dude, that monster would have ruined my fucking oh, life. Yes, for like absolutely. A year. And yet, it kind of this kind of falls in like this kind of weird category where it's like, I feel like yeah, kids should not be watching this and scared the shit out of them. Also, it's like we need that subset of the population that does rent this and does get scared the shit out of them by it because I don't know if that subset of the population still exists. Like. Uh, a good recent scary movie. I guess Malignant. Uh, so, like, <laughs> who are, not who are Halloween the, Kills? <laughs> not Halloween Kills. Like, who are the kids who are renting uh, Malignant? 
Like, you gotta go through, like, your parents' credit card. There's probably, like, a password to get into that. Like, I, I don't know what that is. Uh, I also... So I know, I know what it is. It's what it is. It's the kids that have Grand Theft Auto V. That's I was going to say it's like if we could get Ishibu to really talk to some kids and like figure out what's going on. <laughs> Ishibu has never <laughs> talked to anybody without staring at his feet, which is why he gets along with children so well. No, he did really well when he was staring between the chain link fences at, at Jingy Slate's soccer games. This doesn't require words. So, uh, uh, anyway. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I like the atmosphere that this builds in, like, it's a beyond-the-movie sort of thing. It makes me think of, like, people renting this from, like, a Blockbuster or John's video, The Superior Store. Uh, I'd like to Regular just kind of cut John's to the... If, if it's If it's all right to you, uh, I've got unused John's video bucks that I have not used. It's bullshit. Call up John, Any, dude. I'm considering... Maybe we can get so, some pizzas. Anyway. Bring him over. I could go for some Zala. Anyway, uh, if you guys have anything else to say, I kind of want to cut to the ending because there's something I want to say about the ending. Like the last hour, like it takes thirty minutes to get to Pumpkinhead, and the last hour is just Pumpkinhead picking people off violently. Oh yes, yeah. that's not, not a lot of meat on the bone, but also incredibly watchable. Yes, like I fell asleep watching it last night just because I was up super late and incredibly drunk. I was more than happy just to rewatch it today. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> not buddy. even a problem. But uh, to the ending. Let's yeah. So bosses. so Pumpkinhead is this like evil like supernatural um, fucking demon sort of thing, and uh, I, does he just get killed off with a revolver? I think it's because. Because Lance, Lance, yeah, Lance Henriksen yeah. Uh, is metamorphosed with Pumpkinhead. So she shoots, I think she shoots both of them. I'm pretty sure she shoots both of them. And they both die as a result of a revolver. Hate to see it. No wonder the sequels went direct-to-video. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh... By the way, I've seen the second one. You guys are fine. Oh, have oh. you not seen yeah, the that's... third or fourth one? Um, stop looking at me. <laughs> oh, by the way, this is, this is also the uh, feature film debut of the normal-looking chick from The Big Bang Theory. That's a thing? Oh, yeah, that character I know. Yeah. Because I love that show that uh, you don't have to... Yeah. What, is, what, is, all of it? what is young Sheldon think of her? I don't know. I don't think it's he met her. pretty yet. fun. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even want to talk about that. All right, so... Uh, Oh my god, now I'm looking at her written works. One of them is like, hypothalamic regulation in relation to maladaptive obsessive compulsive affiliative and safety behaviors and Prater willis syndrome, because she was like a scientist. And then her most recent books are Mayhem's Vegan Table, More Than 100 Great Tasting and Healthy Recipes from My Family to Yours, Girling Up, How to Be Strong, Smart, and Spectacular, Boying Up, How to Be Brave, Bold, and Brilliant, The Game of Games. <laughs> <laughs> Three thirty in the fucking. <laughs> Is that also so a book? If, like, do I need to read that? If he, if he was weird dying, how she wrote that, and she has the copyright, so we can't play it this week. Oh well. <laughs> of a terminal illness, and all he wanted to do was say the killing word, <laughs> it would still not be okay. <laughs> all right. Look, I'm gonna I'm gonna do some letting off of the hook here, and by that I mean 
I wasn't here last week, so both of you get three Dragon Balls. So you're gonna... Yeah. Jinkies. I feel like that adds up to seven. That, huh? that no, is, it's no. It's six. Six Park, is almost yeah, seven. Yeah, Parker has six. But, uh, Damn, he's per- right. I checked the math. He's right. Perhaps there is... There's five between us, Jinkies. I, I, well, there's eight between us now. But, uh... Uh-oh. Um... Before we get anything else, uh, last week, had things played out as they were supposed to, Chris would have been 5-5, five and five, Parker would have been 6-4, and four, and I would have been 3-5, and five, so Parker gets to assign me one movie. Ooh. Let me open my notes here. And also, just for the record, I have to watch two Gerard Butler movies because of the rollover. So. Oh, hell yeah. I, I'm, I, I, it's going to struggle to find two because <laughs> I've seen so many, but I'll do my best. I, the one just came out that I, I made that's one of the just two in case. Yeah. One of the <laughs> two. Don't worry. fucking knew it I put knew that it. in the just in case <laughs> yeah I'll let you know don't worry yeah if we weren't already doing Braven let's see oh yeah we did say that yeah. oh yeah we are <laughs> download I love Braven Come back to me. Most of my recent editions are Chris specific, and also that movie you already downloaded. Well, uh, <laughs> I'll get back to you. Great Bad news then, because uh, the week seven game of games has you at six and four, me at four and four, and Chris at three and five. So you can go ahead and give one of those to him. Jinkies. Stinkies. Chris, I could assign you Lords of Salem, but I'm your friend. You're right. Yeah. So la- last week we talked about a really fucking stupid Wes Craven movie. I have another one for you to watch called Deadly Friend, which is, of course, about a boy who makes friends with a robot girl who starts killing people. Thank God for Wes Craven, dude. What a hero. He's so powerful. Okay, I will continue to go through my watch list to find something. Let me me find the Chris Berman dice. Oh, God. How could I forget? (laughs) I'm just going to... I'm going to roll one for each week, because, uh, again, we're going easy on everybody, and also, I did not hear the fastest three minutes last week, so. All right, Parker, hope you're ready for a movie. One second here. Mm-hmm. So, uh, am I to understand you talked about the in-betweeners last week? I did. W- what were your thoughts? It was quite solid. Quite solid? Here, but yeah. All right, well... I think you'll like it. Perfect. Then you can watch The Inbetweeners 2 for this one. Hell yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm glad to know that it's not absolute fucking garbage. But, uh... No, I, well, you don't I assumed... I said on there that I assumed you made me watch it to see if you should watch it. <laughs> I think you'll enjoy it. It was <laughs> in the cards. It was partially that and partially the Britishness of it. But, uh... Uh... Oh, shit. Roll that one again... All right, Chris, you can assign Parker a movie, too. What the hell? Oh, it's Parker. The, the dice say what they say. Parker, I've mentioned hating Christensen on this podcast too many times. Oh, no. Without assigning you... There, are, there aren't a lot of options here. None of them yeah. are good. Yeah, this one's called Little Italy. What? Oh, fuck. That one's shit. <laughs> <laughs> Why is my hand doing this thing? What, the the white power signal? I saw a lot of that during the documentary. <laughs> so after after the wheel shuffle, Chris got the Jaguars, Rams, and Cowboys. Parker got Chris Hemsworth, the Chiefs, and the Packers, who are playing each other? No, that's that's, ne- that's not next week. Next week's Chiefs-Giants. But uh, the week after. 
And uh, I have the Lions, the Raiders, and the Steelers. So I will not be winning next week. Congrats to all the winners. Parker, what assignment do you have for me? Um, I'm really hoping this works. Have you seen Bulletproof, the film starring our good friends Damon Wayans and Adam Sandler? God damn it. <laughs> I don't know if it's actually good or not. I, there's a wide variety of ratings from people I follow. <laughs> okay. Bulletproof, got it. Hey, at least Ernest Dickerson's a real director. It's not directed by Adam Sandler's friend. Sometimes. <laughs> um, okay. Alright. Well, because either that or is going to be Sicario 2. I'm trying to... There's yeah, uh, I'll, I'll take that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Day of the Soldati. <laughs> and all the other ones I found are good. Is like, oh wait, this will be an episode. And... Like, I could assign you missing in action, but also, we can just talk about it next month. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, alright, well, I think that's all I have for you guys this week, unless Parker wants to use his eight Dragon Balls for... Oh, no, we're gonna, we're gonna take those into the lab. Right. And, uh... <laughs> <think about> <laughs> yeah, I know, terrifying. I thought about it, too. <laughs> most terrifying thing I've ever heard. <laughs> it, it would have been really funny to make Chris watch Euphoria. He would have been... I thinking about it. I, you know, we got a whole week to... So, I, the only thing funnier than making Chris watch Euphoria is, like, using 16 Dragon Balls to make him watch Euphoria with his dad. Oh That'd God. be tough to pull off. I'll just let you know that right now. Just tell your dad that, that you were assigned it by, by your friends. Like, to watch it specifically with him. Like, they... Dude, I, I don't know if he would do that. I don't know. <laughs> I've watched several things under his assignment. Yeah. Tell him I'll vote That's for the Republican point, yeah. primary candidate of his choice if he does it. I'll change party registrations. I don't care. Okay. All right. Well. <laughs> and that's the T, sis.